1: New York Giant fan, super excited! Uh, get another one of these midday live streams up. I did it uh, one la- last week with Mike and uh, Nick. Nick and Dan were kind enough to reach out to me. Met them at uh, Fan Fest. Two great guys. They got a great podcast. Definitely check it out. It's in the thumbnail. Big Blue Banter. If you're into podcasts, we're actually gonna try to download this and put it on their podcast so we kind of get some exposure on both both platforms. But guys, thank you so much for coming on, Dan, Nick. Let me just say hello to a couple of people in the chat. John, Joseph, Cupid, Craze, Mike, thank you so much for being here. Davey, thank you for being here. Justin, Pinto. Well, what's going on, guys?
2: Hey, you got Well, you, you start, Nick, because I'm going to actually look to tweet this link out so we can get more people in here. So <laughs> let us know how you're doing.
3: Chris, man, thank you so much for having us on this one. We've been looking forward to uh, talking shop with you, and what better time to do that? Than when the New York Giants are 2-0, despite nobody thinking that, right? Nobody thought they'd be 2-0. And here we are entering Monday Night Football against Cooper Rush. Possible chance to go 3-0. and It's exciting times for Big Blue.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited to be joining you tonight, Chris, because this is something we talked about at FanFest. But also last year, I remember me and you were DMing about, like, we got to collab. Like, it's two two great Uh, two great entities we can come together and have a fun live stream like this also i've been a big fan of your work for a while now i really like the way you go about your business chris so happy to be doing this
1: i appreciate it man you guys seem like great guys i I, I was telling nick before you popped in uh backstage that i think you guys do a great job with the film breakdown and and the the one thing that i'll say about you uh, you know both you guys you're very fair you know i think there's a lot of fans that stick to their biases whether it's being overly negative or overly positive and they, and they don't look at it as objectively as they possibly can. Like, for instance, I'll, I'll, Dan, there's times where I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say on Twitter. I'll be like, he's being a little too harsh, I think, <laughs> about a certain player. And then a week or two later, I feel like you're being more you're, you're being more positive about the player. So I think right. you're a guy that comes out with what you feel your true opinion is, and I respect that. So I, I appreciate uh, working with you guys. appreciate you guys coming on the channel. And, um, yeah, I want to talk about the start of the season. You know, before the year started, we were talking about it a bit. You guys were a little higher than me. I, of course, before we got some of the injuries with Aziz Oldjilari and Kayvon Thibodeau and Blake Martinez unexpectedly got cut. But going into the year, you said 9 and 8, Dan, and, and Nick said 8 and 9. I said 7 and 10. Did you guys see 2 and 0 after <laughs> you know, going into these games? You saw all these injuries. Did you see this start for the Giants?
2: It's hard to say I envision 2 and 0, Chris, but I will say this. One thing that's changed, one thing that's been the biggest difference for me in these first two games is. I wasn't aware of the coaching edge the Giants were going to have in these games right away in week one. Like usually you bring in a new system, both sides of the ball, it's going to take some time. Right. But actually I was speaking with, um, another great Giants Twitter member, Giant fan in in uh, Charlotte, who was like, actually, it might be the opposite. You know, we always think like, oh, uh, you know, if your new coaching staff is going to take time, it might be the opposite because right now teams don't have film on what Kafka and what Wink Marndale want to do schematically. So that actually might be working to our favor right now. So I didn't consider it, but through these first two games, Chris, that's been the biggest difference for me. Just the Giants have such a clear coaching edge. It was never more obvious than Watching Wink Martindale against Ben McAdoo last week, because no offense to Ben McAdoo or anything, but he just was out of his league there, and that was the difference in why the Giants won that game. The first game, obviously, not as much of an edge there, but I do feel like the Giants had really good coaching on both sides of the ball, and you could obviously point to what Brian Dable did, going for two point conversion there to win the football game. That was a ballsy move; it was an aggressive move, and it set the tone for what kind of team they're going to be.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and I want to turn it to Nick as well, but just feeding off of what you said. I In both games, speaking of the coaching, the adjustments at halftime, and even, even with the offense in the second game, some of the adjustments they made in terms of the offensive play calling, um, but obviously the first game, that's really what stood out to me, the offensive side of the ball in terms of some of the adjustments they made at the half. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. To me, the biggest bright side so far of this season, as great as the defense has been and as great as Andrew Thomas has been, which JB12 said here, and we're going to get into him for sure, and certain individuals on this team has been – for the long-term success of this team, it's the coaching. That, that to me, has been what has been the most encouraging thing. Now, did I like everything Kafka did? No, I didn't like the uh, second and goal at the two, doing his design QB run with Daniel Jones. There's definitely some things that you could say. I didn't love Dable personally not calling a timeout before Daniel Jones went and threw that ball that should have been a pick six. I thought they probably right. should have the timeout and talked it over. So you could nitpick about certain things, but so far the adjustments this coaching staff has made at halftime It's been great. It's been refreshing. We haven't seen it in a long time as Giants fans.
3: And I also like how Mike Kafka discussed it today about the adjustments in their process. I encourage anybody to go to the Giants YouTube and watch how Mike Kafka articulates how he makes adjustments. We've talked a lot on Big Blue Banter, Dan, Chris, everybody listening, about how how he sequences plays, essentially how he shows jet motion several different times. And then when the defense least expects it after seeing it so many times, they hand the football off to Kadarius Toney for 19 yards. I love just that overall aspect because that's not something that we necessarily saw with Jason Garrett, right? We didn't see a lot of sequencing of plays or setting the defense up. It was much more rigid. It was much more of a rigid system, whereas this is much more open. Kafka also talked about that today in his press conference about how he's just taking what the defense is giving him. All right. The defense is going to play off. He's going to take those quick hitters. The defense is going to play up. He's going to try to take some shots. And I respect that they're going to align and over front light boxes against Saquon Barkley in week one against Tennessee, run the football, use double pullers and use your best player, maximize his skill set. And I just love the fact that he is so open to doing so many different things and he's not rigid like previous offensive coordinators were.
1: Yeah. Great calls and all that. Um, I want to get into the Andrew Thomas talk, but one of the thing I, I really want to bring up, you've seen a lot of I think I saw Dan Orlovsky just come out with it. A lot of people were at me on Twitter. Uh, Bobby talked about it. I'm sure you guys talked about it as well. Daniel Jones missed on some reads, no doubt about it, last week. And he definitely had some good throws as well, but he definitely missed on at least three or four reads. But to me, maybe not so much for Daniel Jones, but for this team going forward in this offense, that's a good sign. The fact that we have guys running open. Because under (laughs) Jay Square we didn't have that. So for Daniel Jones to miss reads, that means guys are getting open. Um, So to me, that's a good sign. That means that this offense is creating separation. They're creating opportunities for the quarterback. And hopefully as Daniel Jones gets more consistent with this offense, more familiar with this offense, more comfortable in this offense, he'll start to hit some of those plays. But whether he hits them or not, for the long-term success of this offensive scheme, that's a very good sign.
2: I love that take by you, Chris. It's perfect, really. I mean... What we're looking for here, this is year one of the rebuild. We still have to keep that in mind. We're 2-0 and everything's kind of changed for all of us because we're now all excited about a season we weren't ultimately that excited going into, if we're going to be honest, and we should be because they're playing really good ball right now. For what they are but it's still year one of the rebuild so what we really wanted to see is can this coaching staff make changes because we didn't see that with the previous coaching staff they like you said with Garrett even in year two Garrett had a whole off season to work on what went wrong in year one and he didn't really make enough changes and that's a great example now short term I think you're right I think as Daniel Jones gets more comfortable in the system he will start to make some of those plays the question is how many that's the big question for our ceiling this year can he become a quarterback who makes those 70% of the time when those reads are open or 80 or 90? Cause if he can get into that range, we're going to start to see consistency because I will say this about Jones. There, it's It wasn't the most amazing game ever, right? There was one really good drive by him, and yep. he missed he missed two red zone reads, one to Sterling Shepard, one to Daniel Bellinger. He missed the Kadaris Tony over. We all know that he at times he bailed from the pocket when he probably shouldn't have. His eyes went down toward the pad rush. All those things are true, but at the same time, he also made two unbelievable throws in the game, the third and nine and the third and 10. I didn't see Baker Mayfield make a single throw like that all game. Those were clutch throws in key moments, and more importantly than that, to me at least, when the Panthers went up 13-6, really the only sign of offense in the game when momentum could actually shift, right? Panthers up 13-6 after their touchdown drive. The Giants go three and out, punt it back. All the Panthers really need to do is go down there and score one more touchdown or field goal, and they're in a tough spot, the Giants. Daniel Jones put the team on his back at that point and did drive them all the way down with his best drive of the game when it mattered most. So I still think there were some really good takeaways from Jones in that game. Ultimately, for me, the ceiling talk with Jones is what it is. Me and Nick are just, we've made it pretty clear we don't really see too much of a huge ceiling with this player, but... For right now, for what he can be, I do think he can improve within this system this year because my original prediction stands, Chris. I think this is going to be Daniel Jones's best statistical season by far when all is said and done, and I don't think it's going to be close.
1: I agree with you. That's what I said at the beginning of the year as well. I think it's going to be his best statistical year. I'm also pretty much in agreement with you in terms of his ceiling. Um, I think he can definitely be a better player than what we've seen but I don't see it like a Josh Allen level ceiling, which is, you know, a lot of people have frequently said because of the Dable right. thing. And the, you know, the fact that they show the statistics on ESPN, you know, the start mm-hmm. that Josh Allen had through his career, but just use the eyes. I agree with you. The, the ceiling is, is not that, um, do I think he could be a good quarterback in the right situation? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully he grows from within this scheme and the New York Giants have a good year this year and take it one week at a time. I'm looking yeah. forward to it, but let's turn our attention to what JB just said. Andrew Thomas might be this team's MVP so far. I'll start. Um Not might be. Uh Well, here's what I'll say. You could argue Wink or yeah. Graham Gano potentially. <laughs> are the yeah. Right now, I mean, Graham Gano get four field goals. All and right. I said to a guy on Twitter this week, guys, if Graham Gano was a Tennessee tight week one, we're 0-1. Yeah,
2: Because
1: he's not missing that. He's not missing that. Yep. And if Graham Gano was a New York Giant week two, we're probably 0-2. 0-2, yep. So, Graham Gano has been really valuable, not just this year, but since he's been a New York Giant. It was a great pickup by the Giants. So you could argue him so far. I know people don't want to hear about the kicker being I the MVP, know. but it's the truth. And and Wink did a great job last week. But Andrew Thomas, I mean, let's just talk about the growth of him as a player. I mean, when Andrew Thomas first came into the league, guys, I'm sure you heard it on your podcast too. You you guys are active on Twitter. All everybody talked about was how big of a bust this guy was, how he was the worst pick in the, in the first round of all the tackles, how he's going to be the next Eric Flowers. Um, you know, he hurts his foot in his rookie season. Shows a lot of growth last year, not to the point where he is now, but he was at least like a fringe pro bowler. And now this year, he is the best tackle as of now, two weeks into the season, at least according to PFF's metrics, in the National Football League. And you take into account everything. The guy's dealing with his, what, fourth offensive line coach, I think it is. Uh, Yeah, to his first year. Yeah, his fourth offensive line coach. His third head – second head coach, rather. He's playing next to a different guard every year. Yeah like you think about all the turnover around him and for him to reach the level that he's at now what a home run of a pick that was uh by the New York Giants
3: and chris it's the consistency right now right cuz the beginning of his career it was so turbulent and at the end of the, at the end of that first season you started seeing some signs some glimpses but once year 2 started for andrew thomas it was full go onto the Trajectory of what a really good starting tackle could be, and now it seems like he has like All Pro potential. I don't think that's being us being hyperbolic. This guy it could easily be in at the end of this season. People are being like, man, New York Giants really nailed that pick. Say what you want about Dave Gettleman, but Gettleman (laughs) really nailed that because he had his pick of four tackles. And Andrew Thomas has that trajectory going for him right now. It's really really exciting, and I just love how improved. Because you could tell he really focused on his craft. He's so much more disciplined. He's better with his hands. His sets are just really, really crisp. He's rarely fooled. I can't speak high enough of Andrew Thomas. And he would probably be, I think, best player on this team. I mean, Saquon Barkley, it's a running back position. He's up there too. But Andrew Thomas, man, you're talking about all pro level talent right there.
1: He's the yeah. best player on the team. Him or Barkley, I think he hit it on the head. I think those two players are the, are the two best players on this team. Maybe you could argue Leonard Williams on the defensive side or, um, you know, we'll see how Kayvon Thibodeau develops. But as of now, Andrew Thomas is the best player and Saquon's one's probably second.
2: Yeah, I think what's so interesting about his trajectory is what Nick said. Those first eight games of his rookie season, me and Nick criticized him a lot because we were just evaluating the tape and he wasn't very good on the tape. But that didn't mean he was going to be a bust. That just meant it was a player who was struggling. Some players don't react well to adversity. Some a player like Andrew Thomas clearly reacted in the complete opposite way. Like Nick said, he worked on his craft, and now when you watch him, it's just... I. We haven't done this, Nick, but it would be fun to go back and watch a tape from his rookie year, one of those games that he struggled with, and then compare it to what we saw last week and the week before, because you're just watching a totally different player, it looks like. They may have the same name and jersey number, and they are actually the same person, but it's not actually the same player, like Nick said. Now when I watch him, he's calm, he's collected at all times, he's pancaking dudes, he's dominating in the down blocks, in pass protection sometimes he just makes it look literally easy and really like Nick said it looks like he's not even bothered at times with some of these pass rush moves that are coming at him so I would give it to Andrew Thomas I think he's the most indispensable player he's the Giants best asset to me by far on the roster and I'm really glad that they have him
1: yeah he's been he's been incredible for this team I love the pick when they made it I love it even more now Um, we can't speak enough about him uh, Tom, man, thank you very much. Just two of the three most handsome guys in <laughs> the Giants Me, I know I'm, a, I have a face for radio, Tom. Uh, no, man.
2: <laughs> He's <laughs> definitely Tom, talking man. about you two. He's definitely not talking about me. <laughs> Tom, I had that, people have given me that same joke throughout my whole life. I got a face for radio, so I know where I get that's that. coming
1: they, from. They kid with me on here. A lot of people say, Chris, you belong on <laughs> radio, but no, I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you very much, man. Joseph says, love y'all, man. Keep up the good content. Big blue banter and entertain collab. Let's get this W. We'll be at the game. Road to the Super Bowl. F the cowgirls. I'm all about. Are you guys yeah. going to the game? Well, I know, I know, I know. Nick isn't because he's he's in Arizona right now. Are you going to the game, Dan?
2: So it's pretty great, Chris. I don't get to go to games anymore because I work for CBS Sports and I have these crazy Sundays where I can't do it. But Monday nights, Thursday nights, no work. So I'm going Monday night. I have to see how early I can get there because I want to get there like right when the parking lot opens, but I have to work Monday too. So I'm going to check out at some point and it's going to be earlier than expected. Don't hope my boss is not listening to this, but we'll see you later. Don't worry. It's all good. But on Monday, I plan to get there early. I want to tailgate. I'm going to head out to the Chalk and Giants tailgate. I want to meet up with Justin. I I got the chance to meet him at the, at the uh, Fan Fest, but me and Justin have been going back and forth on Twitter for years. So I want to actually spend some time, hang out with him and whoever else is going to be there. I think snacks is going to be there. Some other fun people. So if you're there, reach out to me, DM me. I'd love to meet anyone who's listening right now. It'd be a lot of fun, but yeah, my brother's coming in from the city. I don't get a chance to go to games with him anymore. I really can't wait, Chris. And, and people do I hope that the only thing I hope for Chris is that anyone listening or knowing or knows me and, recognizes me in the stands is not near my section because i am an absolute lunatic at these games <laughs> i told this to nick earlier i've already been threatened by my brother that i have to relax or he's going to kick me out for good from the seats because they're now in his name so i got to tone it down but a bad call by a ref is always that's my trigger Are a you, bad call. have you seen the movie uh silver Line?
1: i know you're a show guy so you post about shows yeah. also. have you seen the movie silver i Line? have oh, I is have. that you like is it Is that it
2: you used to be man. it used to be like back in the day but this is look i haven't gone to games in a long time and i'm an older human being i hope i've more i've hope i've matured over these years chris so we'll see older the big test team comes team. yeah the big test comes monday night and the problem is i'm getting to the stadium really so i'm gonna be drinking a lot so we'll, so we'll <laughs> see where this goes
1: i want to bring up the crowd i want to yeah. bring up the crowd and, and i'm really excited to see what the crowd looks like this week with the whiteout and everything else but Wink, you know, and he did a great job coaching, but he came out and he said, I need this crowd to be loud. I need this crowd to get involved. And one thing that has really stood out so far with this New York Giants defense through two weeks has been the third down defense. They are five of 22, their opponents, which is the best number in football. 21% of the time they're giving up a third down, which is insane. That's not going to continue. That's, that's (laughs) unsustainable. but it's been incredible so far. But how you you think the crowd last week, because I'll tell you what I watch. I don't go to a lot of giant games. I go to one or two a year. It seemed a lot louder on TV than it's been, you know, in, in, in times in the past. It didn't seem like there was a fan in their seat uh, anytime there was a big third down. Do you think that? And and I know that. Um, I think it was uh, Matt might Ruhle. Matt,
3: Ruhle. yeah,
1: yeah, Matt Rule, yeah. yeah, Matt Rule came out and said that the, the crowd, he felt like the crowd had an influence on the game. So how about that? Did the New York Giants finally have a little bit of a uh, a home field advantage, guys? They
3: yes. do, yeah. yes. No, they definitely do. And look, Dan, I know you're going. Anybody that's going, you have to be loud. You have to wear white. There is a backup quarterback in there, Cooper Rush, and Cooper Rush is two and zero, and he's won a primetime game. That that is something Daniel Jones has not done yet. He beat Halloween night against Minnesota, and Cooper Rush, he's a better. I think he's a better backup than other backups in the league, but he's still a backup quarterback. But if you can be loud on third down and in those key situations, and just mess up the communication between Kellen Moore and Cooper Rush, that can just give the Giants an extra edge. And then you got to worry about, if you're Cooper Rush, what Wink Martindale is dialing up, the type of pressure and the manipulation of the protection package. That's going to be something that's going to be great to watch because it always is with Wink Martindale. So be freaking loud because I really think the home field advantage of MetLife is not something I expected this year, but it looks like it's there.
1: I tell you what, and Wink Wink came out today, said he wants it even louder this week, so we'll see.
3: And look, I think it could be a scenario where
2: it's been so bad for so long and there's been no reason to get up for so long at MetLife Stadium that all that actually builds in and makes the, uh you know, the crowd even louder now because we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for the opportunity to play meaningful football at MetLife Stadium and we're back. And I think back to 2016 when the Giants had a very, I was saying this earlier to Nick, they had a very similar com- roster complexion, uh, at least as it's been through two weeks, right? It was all defense and then. Odell Beckham Jr. would take a slant to the house yeah. occasionally. That's basically what Barkley did in week one. It was all defense. Barkley hit a big run. And so I think it could be like that for a little while. We hope, obviously, Daniel Jones will crest in the system and get better. But that leads to really, important, you know, that makes the crowd even more important. Because like Nick said, we want false starts. We want delay of games. We want all those things that push their offense, the Cowboys offense back. And this is the first
3: road yeah. game for Dallas. And that's also important because they have a freaking rookie starting at left tackle who was projected to be a guard. So if you're loud there, that can cause false starts and just little things like that, you know, a third and six turns into a third and 11. That's a big deal right there. So, so that's the importance of being loud. It can't be understated.
1: And you think back to maybe the, one of the more crucial, like in terms of like overlooked plays last game, the play by Dexter Lawrence, when he was able to push Baker Mayfield out of bounds and make it a, I think it was a fourth and one. And then they went out there to go for it. And they committed a full start with 15 seconds yep. on the clock. That could have been crowd influence. Little things like that make good a point. big, they, they could make a big difference in the football game. So hopefully they show up. Hopefully they show out. Hopefully they show their Giants pride. And I think we got a good chance for what you started to touch on. Listen, they got Cooper Rush. And I know Rush, I didn't get to watch the whole game on Sunday, but people said in the first half, he looked pretty good. But now you got a full game tape worth of film on him in this offense with these players on this team. Wings gonna be able to prepare for that. You have a rookie left tackle, like you said. I think we're gonna be able to take advantage of this Dallas offense. Now, on the other side, we definitely have our worries. Dallas's defense has looked really good. Mike Parsons yes. been a beast. He's gonna be paired up on Evan Neal for sure. They're gonna to try to take advantage of the rookie left uh, right tackle, and we're gonna to need to give him all the help we could get. I think we're gonna see a lot of two tight end sets, similar to what we saw last week. Um, so we're going to have our challenges on the offensive side, but when it comes to the defensive side, I think we're going to I think we're going to give Cooper Rush some fits this this week.
3: I completely yeah, I it, agree with it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, completely agree. It, I've watched a little bit of Cooper Rush. Look, Cooper Rush, he's going to stay within the confines of Kellen Moore's offense. If the Giants are playing off coverage, he's going to take those quick hitters, those quick curls, those slant routes that carve up zone, but we know Wink Martindale likes to play man. He plays man, I think second most in the league right now. And Dallas led the league in cover 1 and I think they are sixth right now in man coverage. So you're going to have a game with a lot of man coverage, which could lead to broken plays yes. if wide receivers can win their one on one matchups in man coverage and then make one safety miss who might have an angle on him. So I think the important thing for the New York Giants, and it, it's a little weary for me because you look at the Giants receiver room, it's like, who's doing that right now if it's not Kadarius Tony, Yeah. Well, Kadarius we Tony. Gotta that too.
1: We got to talk about that. We have to talk about that. We got to look at the, the whole, the, how they're handling the receivers. I think that's a good topic of conversation.
3: Definitely. Yeah. Cause Kadarius Toney played seven snaps in week one. A lot of them were just drag routes, play action slide underneath, and then design plays specifically for him. His his participation expanded in week two, and there are kernels of nuggets that have been like tossed around Twitter that comments made by Sterling Shepard and Brian Dable allude to the fact that receivers are still running the wrong routes. I don't know if that pertains to Kadarius Tony. I don't know who that pertains to, but I think it's imperative for the Giants to figure out a way to get Kadarius Toney on the football field. We saw what he did to Trayvon Diggs in Dallas in week five last year, right? Yep. I think yep. if the giants want to have an explosive offense and it doesn't run through Saquon Barkley, cause Dan Quinn is going to focus on stopping Saquon Barkley. You need to get Kadarius Toney going. You just need to, I think that is crucial.
1: Yeah. I, I think you hit on the head with Tony, especially in a game like this, Dan Quinn, Runs a similar style, and I'm not saying it's identical to what Wink does, but he's a b- ultra-aggressive defensive coordinator. So you know we're going to have opportunities on the outside, and, we, and who's better on this team in terms of creating quick separation than Kadarius Tony? So I'm with you. I think you have to find a way to get Kadarius Tony more involved in this football game, and maybe we don't know how bad the injury is. I know he came back in practice today, and maybe the Giants are kind of easing him back in. I don't know, but this is a game you know, where they're going to be aggressive. They're going to stack the box on Barkley. I could see Tony if he's been, you know, the Tony completely healthy um, could have a big game. But I want to circle back to the wide receiver conversation, though. Like, what do you guys, like, think is going on in this wide receiver room? Because week to week, you don't know. It's similar to Joe Judge with the musical chairs his first year with the offensive lineman. Right? How you take out a tackle, you know, one drive, put in another guy, take out a guard, put in another... Like, you don't know week to week. Thank God I don't have any Giants on my fantasy team. I would never want to start any of these guys because you don't know who's going to get the snaps. Week one, like you said, Tony gets seven snaps. This week, Kenny Galladay gets two snaps. What do you think the line of reasoning for all this is?
2: So I think it's a little interesting because you think back to, like, Dable's teams with the Bills, right? This was besides Diggs, who was obviously a locked in guy you never could take off the field. They did a lot of musical chairs there, too. A lot of different receivers got in the field. Even as A. McKenzie, like prior to his breakout, was getting on for some snaps. Gabe Davis, all the different guys, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, they had a similar type thing last week. Last week on Monday Night Football, we watched Jake Kumoro, you know, making plays for them down the field. But Jake Kumoro, the old Aaron Rodgers boy. So it's really interesting. I think this is kind of who he is, Dave. I think he's a believer in like. There's not set roles like you're the wide receiver one, you're the wide receiver two, you're the wide receiver three. That means you get X amount of snaps. He's saying whoever's competing. Yeah, it seems ahead.
1: like, man, it's almost like matchup dependent. Like he feels like maybe I'm reading too much into this because it's only been two weeks. But maybe on certain weeks he feels like different receivers are better fits for the opposing de- the the opposing defense. Am I am I wrong reading into it like that?
2: I don't know if you're wrong to read into it like that because I don't think any of us could could, could tell you what's the truth unless we were obviously talking to Brian Dable. I think though, last week when you think about, it, there's not too many match. Like, okay, so last week the big difference was David Sills played over Kenny Galladay, right? Yeah. So he takes all his snaps. That I think, like, they're pretty similar players. Like, you can't right. really go. So that one is weird. The weirdest one to me. That one's almost like, look, I think David Sills offers more. And I read something from Dan Duggan who was like there was, it was either Duggan or Art Stapleton. One of them, I think it was Duggan was like, there was a weird play in practice. This was before the, before the Panthers game, where Daniel Jones threw a go ball to Kenny Galladay. And the coaches felt like it was good ball placement by Daniel Jones. And it landed two, three yards ahead of Galladay. And that was kind of a moment where they're like, all right, does this guy have even the burst and speed to catch up to these balls anymore? So that could be an issue. There is a non-zero chance that Kenny Galladay is cooked. We hope that's not the case, but hip surgeries are tricky which receivers do we think of in history that have had hip surgeries? like, I can't think of any, I was thinking about this with Nick the other day, like who has had hip surgery. It's a crazy surgery for a receiver to have. Um, it's right. such an explosive athletic position. So I think at this point, he's just trying to figure out which receivers can get on the field, run the routes the right way, not run into players. Like you saw Kadarius Tony and David Sills do on the play that was penalized and taken back and just compete in the offense and be in a spot where Daniel Jones can trust them right now. And, We'll see what happens with this, but I do ultimately feel like Chris. I'm not a huge fan of the Sills over Galladay thing. Maybe if Galladay is completely cooked, then that's the case. But I want to watch and see that for myself. Like I want to see Galladay out there for a larger contingency of snaps, so I can make the evaluation: is he cooked or not? Is he offering more? Because Sills, let's be honest, if you watch the game tape, he didn't create vertical separation at all. One of the big issues on that play that everyone talks about—that um, you know, Kadarius Tony is running the deep over wide open—is that Daniel Jones is locking into David Sills on his vertical route. And he's trying to wait for him to get open. Well, he's not open. And like, yes, Daniel Jones should come off of him, but at the same time, you got to get open on those vertical routes as a boundary outside receiver. So right now I still think they're just still trying to figure this whole thing out. And
1: All I think
3: right, a lot yeah. of, I think a lot of it's based on how these guys perform in practice. I think yeah. Dable lives to his word. And I have uh, Tony Delgenio. He's a fellow contributor at big blue view said this on big blue view radio podcast, Brian Dable is the most egalitarian coach in terms of how he allocates his snaps towards the wide receivers. If you show up in practice and you compete and you're where you need to be and you run the right routes, which seems to be an issue right now that we're not talking that much about, you're going to earn snaps. And that's why David Sills plays over 90% of the snaps. And we don't look at David Sills as somebody who's creating ample separation or has a dynamic skill set. It's because he's where he needs to be and he's dependable, which is the overall essence of the Brian Dable and Joe Shane era so far is are you dependable and if you're dependable you're going to play and I think that's a big I think that's the way we probably should view it right now in terms of the wide receiver room
1: and it makes sense especially being that you you, you know you're not gonna be able to hold up blocks that long to begin with with the, the, the way our interior offensive line is right, right now and you have a quarterback that is he needs guys that could be dependable because he's learning this offense along with everybody else so it makes sense um but I I I kind of agree with Dan like I'd like to see Galladay out there I'd like to see if Galladay could do some things from within this offense this year um especially being that the guy's been productive in the past but at the end of the day I'm not going to flip out about it it's Brian Dable it's his team he had nothing to do with Kenny Galladay being here in the first place so if he feels like David Sills right now because of his ability to grasp the offense or maybe he does look better in practice gives this team the best chance to win I'm going to roll with it. I don't think he's trying to lose games. We saw Brian Dable's reaction after week one, how excited he was. He's going out there to try to put the best team for that week out out on the field. And last week, he felt Sills gave him the best opportunity to win. So I'm going to roll with it. And it's going to be a roller coaster ride with this wide receiver core uh, this year in terms of who's going to be getting the snaps and who's not going to be. And we'll see, but it's going to be fun. Uh, Joe! Chris,
2: One more thing that stands stands out to me before we get into what Joe's saying, because I want to touch on that too. I think a little bit of this is bad luck for the Giants based on what I saw in week one with Wandale Robinson being out there for all of the snaps before his injury. I think Wandale Robinson is a player that literally picked up the offense as fast as they expected him to yeah. better than anyone could have hoped for a rookie considering he's picked it up. He picked it up faster than let's say Tony or Galladay or whoever is not playing right now. And to lose him was tough because part of the reason they drafted him, I think, is because they felt like he was a dependable receiver. Like Nick was saying, he was someone who was going to be able to pick up the offense and get on the right page, a smart receiver. Because if you look at that draft, I mean, there's no, there's not even a debate that George Pickens has more talent than Wanda Robinson. Yeah. I'm sorry to say it. It's the honest truth. I mean, this dude's six foot four and can run a four, three vert. Like he's explosive. He's taller. He's bigger. He's better in every situation except for the short game, but that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for players who can, Be dependable in a system that has choice routes and a system that requires a lot of thinking from the wide receiver position. And so, I think it's a little bit of bad luck too, because I think Wandel Robinson would have been playing a huge compliment to snaps if he just didn't get hurt. So, hopefully, he can get healthy again. And And
3: Raphael's comment too. Sorry, Chris. Raphael's comment. I wish. I wish Colin Johnson didn't get injured. And I think has been. Colin Johnson would have been huge for them.
1: He was looking great. Uh, I went through a couple of training games. He was looking great. And season, he was looking good. Um, but, yeah, I think I think Richie yeah. James, as of now, seems to be kind of taking that Wondell Robinson-type yeah. role um, early on in the year. But, yeah, hopefully we get to see Robinson out there sooner than later because he was a guy I was really excited about, how they were going to scheme him open and use, yeah. utilize in this offense. And I'm sure we'll still get to see it. Hopefully he's back here sooner than later, though. Yeah. Joe, he says, very impressive what we have done so far on defense, especially with basically no inside linebacker play. Um, hope we could uh, we could snag some Tremaine Edmonds, yeah. Well, last week, I what they did is what I kind of expected, guys. I want to get your take on this as well. I thought they'd go with more safeties. They had a, uh, I I didn't get a chance to see the percentage of snaps, but there was a lot of snaps where they had three safeties, there was even a few where they had four out on the football field. And when you were going up against a team like the Panthers with the ability to utilize Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield as wide receiver in the mismatch, he could pose uh, to the guys that are more of our traditional inside linebackers. I thought it was the right approach by Wink to kind of go with more DBs in a game like that. And I'd probably expect to see something similar this week as well. Maybe not quite as much because they don't have, they don't quite have a guy like Christian McCaffrey, but you know, uh, uh, Pollard, he's definitely a threat in the past game out of the backfield. He's yep. a guy that pose a mismatch uh, to our linebackers as well. So I thought it was the right approach, but yeah, our linebackers, uh, definitely not anything to write home about. We did make an acquisition uh, this, this week, but that's definitely not the strength of this defense. The other thing he didn't even mention. I mean, what about the job guys that Jihad Ward and O'Shane Zimenez have done so far with the two guys that we're hoping we get back this week. But for those guys to step in, you guys are on Twitter. You saw the fan reaction when O'Shane Zimenez even made the team. Everybody wanted Quincy Roche to get that spot. Tip your cap to the coaching staff. And I think that, kind of should give you a little bit more faith that this coaching staff, when you say, why are they starting David Sills? There's a reason behind it. You know, it's the same thing with O'Shane Zimenez. There was a reason why they chose O'Shane Zimenez over the fan favorite Quincy Roche. They felt like he fit this defense better, and through two weeks, he's done a hell of a job.
3: He's been great. He's been great. I can't, we speak so highly of Jihad Ward. I think he's the unsung hero of the defense. You align him to the strong side that forces offenses, tight end, block him one-on-one. That's just not going to work when you're 290 pounds. But to circle back a little bit, X-Man has done great. Oh, Shane, that is. To circle back a little bit, Dalton Schultz is injured for this game. He has a PCL injury. Yeah. Dallas likes to run a lot of 12 personnel. That's two tight ends on the field. And now both of their tight ends are rookies, Pendershot and Jake Ferguson, Dan's favorite tight end ever because of Wisconsin. That's the That's average Wisconsin, right? Yes. Yeah. The Wisconsin Badger. So I'm wondering if they're going to go more 11 personnel now that Michael Gallup might be back as well. And that could work to the favor of the New York Giants because the Giants want to roll out three safeties with Dane Belton healthy, possibly even four at times with Tony Jefferson kind of getting, you know, a couple handfuls of snaps here and there. So I think that's one low key thing that could work in the Giants favor because whenever Carolina rolled out 12 personnel, or at least a lot of the times they rolled out 12 personnel. That's when you saw that second linebacker, whether it be McFadden or Calitro, come on the field. And one of those drives, they rolled out 12 personnel, double Y set, and they went play action and they hit one of their tight ends for about a 12 yard gain on a deep over beating Calitro. And we saw what Tennessee did against the New York giants with Dontrell Hilliard. Every offensive coordinator is looking at the giants and if they're in base personnel, or if they're in even nickel, They're going to circle that linebacker and attempt to isolate them with one of their running backs. Tell me a running back in the league who is as dynamic, especially a second fiddle running back as Tony Pollard. So that's something the Giants really need to be weary of. And I'm sure they're going to try to match Pollard with Dane Belton, Xavier McKinney, possibly, which we saw a lot with Christian McCaffrey. They're going to try to eliminate that because that is the big sore spot of this defense right now is the linebackers ability and coverage.
2: And we had yep. Jeff Kavan on earlier to talk Cowboys Giants preview on our podcast. Is going to drop today or tomorrow, whenever it was. And he and he made a. I mean, look, you, anyone could know this if they watched Cowboys Bengals last week. Cowboys lose that game if it's not for Tony Pollard. It wasn't Zeke who made the big game changing play. It was Tony Pollard. Our g- big game changing play two weeks ago was Saquon Barkley. I don't know if we had one last week on offense, whatever. But um, I can't think might of, one been, of Might it. have been
1: Sills. I mean, yeah. it was more Jones on the throw, but that was a huge play. Yes. Up the opponent's yeah. 40.
2: Still just like a 16 yarder, but like yeah. I'm talking like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, game yeah, changing, yeah. explosive play. But Tony Pollard did that for them last week. And that and that's why I think Nick called Like he's one of my key guys I'm focusing in on. Cause right now, CD Lamb. I don't know. I'm weird about C.D. Lamb. I'm curious to get your guys' take on this. I thought he was going to be a superstar, next elite receiver out of Oklahoma. I loved this tape, and I just feel like he hasn't gotten there yet. Maybe part of that is you know Dax's injuries, but I'm not as worried about him, I guess, as as a Tony Barr, which is crazy to say.
1: Yeah, I I was there. There's been two receivers I've been very high on in the last couple of drafts, and obviously Jamar Chase as well. Yes. I was high on, but I loved Waddle. I actually had Waddle above. Jamar Chase going into that draft. like I, And I still think he might end up being at least mm-hmm. on par with him. Like That's how good I think Waddle potentially could be. Um, but I also love CeeDee Lamb. But the thing with Lamb so far that's been so disappointing for me, well, I'm happy about it as a Giants yeah, fan. Yeah. If I was a Cowboys fan, I mean, he led the league in drops last year. And, yeah. I, and, and I don't think his targets were nearly as high as some of the guys that were near the top of that list. So that's a huge red flag, right? You can't have your wide receiver dropping balls. But he definitely has still has a high ceiling and definitely a guy that the New York Giants are going to have to – man up in this game i'll be interested to see if adora jackson travels with him uh you know from snap to snap in this game
3: what's going on big blue banter listeners do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience well then oddstrader.com is the place for you OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather and Bet tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddsTrader.com and use the promo code BlueWire. That's oddsTrader.com/slash BlueWire. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps. And it's called Liquid Death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty, and they're drinking the new Mountain Spring water brand called Liquid Death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash bigblue if you want to try this tasty new liquid death. Yeah, Dory plays on the left and right side. I think he has like four or six snaps in the slot. When Tennessee aligned Robert Woods in their backfield, he traveled and played like a Mike linebacker position. But like Wink Martindale says, this defense is positionless, essentially. But you got to look, man. Tony Pollard, that's somebody to be worried about, certainly. But I do think Kellen Moore, and I know it's Cooper Rush and not Dak Prescott, they're going to attempt to attack whoever that second cornerback yeah. is, whether it be Moreau or Cordell Fly. And I think both of them have the potential to step up in that occasion. But if I'd, I'd imagine that Kellen Moore is going to try to isolate CeeDee Lamb in that situation rather than maybe a Noah Brown. Or you could see CeeDee Lamb working as the number three receiver, the inside receiver in three-by-one sets, try to isolate him against Darnay Holmes, who is a solid overall nfl player but we saw i think two years ago darnay holmes kind of get toasted a little bit by cd lamb and take a couple really bad penalties because cd lamb's he's he's a good he's a good player man he's a good player i don't think he's living up to the the bill quite yet like like dan alluded to but i still think he is dynamic and in the right situation he can hurt you
2: and one more thing on that note that i just wanted to throw in real quick chris just a little film tidbit that me and nick that me and nick uh you know we we both believe after watching the tape Cordell Flott was better than people realized on tape yes. last week. The whole narrative is, look, he gave up the touchdown to DJ Moore and he got benched. Well, now we found out this week today from, I think, Winks, uh, one of the coordinator interviews, that he was cramping up. And that was part of the reason why he went to the bench. It wasn't, you know, it, that was a big reason for it. And on, on the tape, he was in phase. on There was a back shoulder throw they tried early in the game to Moore where he was right in phase on him. And I thought that was really good coverage. So. I'll, I hope it's Cordell Flott. To be completely honest, no offense to Fabian Moreau, but that's our future there, Flott. And so I think he was a little better than people realize, and I'm excited to see him moving forward. Chris, yeah,
1: I didn't watch the, the film as intently as you guys did, but just from watching the game, I thought, and I, and watching in preseason, I was, and again, it was preseason. You're going up against backups, but I was impressed with like his speed on the outside. I'm like, all yeah. right, this guy has something. And then last week, he had one really bad drive. It was the drive where they caught the touchdown. He also got burnt. For a, I think he either committed a penalty or he got hit by a big pass. I can't remember. Um, or I think on the first play or the first passing play on that drive. But outside of that one drive, yeah, Cordell Flott held his own uh, against that Carolina team for sure. So I'm with you if it's between those two. Obviously, I'd like to see Aaron Robinson, but it doesn't look like he's going to play this week. Um, yeah. I think I'd rather see Cordell Flott at least to start the game. And if he's really struggling, then maybe make a change. But I'm with you. I'd rather see Cordell Flott get to start this week for sure. I'm with you on that.
3: Yeah, and Moreau mm-hmm. did make one of the plays of the game, though. With by the tackle, of-
1: Christian McCaffrey, yes,
3: that was a yeah. huge underrated play because yeah. I think Christian McCaffrey's housing that if Moreau doesn't get the beat right. on it.
1: Yeah, that was a one of my subscribers. I failed to mention that in my post game video. One of my subscribers pointed that out. I'm like, you're absolutely right. That was such a huge play uh, in that football game, no doubt about it. That was a gigantic. You don't think about it while you're watching the game. You just pissed off because the guy ran for 49 yards. <laughs> yeah, but when you go back right. and watch the play, you're like, wow, that was a game. That was a game saving tackle. It was a tremendous play. Um, Raphael says big news today. Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz are back.
2: Um, Have we got confirmation on Thibodeau yet? I know Aziz said he's playing. Is it? Yeah, Aziz said he's
1: playing. Even that's not confirmation. If the doctors have to say it, but it's definitely trending in the right direction. Jordan Renan came out today and said that it's definitely trending that Thibodeau is going to play. We haven't got an official word that they're going to play yet, but it's looking favorable that they're both going to be out there on Monday night.
3: I'm wondering what that does from a scheme standpoint, because obviously those guys, they might not play a full complement of snaps, but they're going to be out there. And I think that's going to allow Jihad Ward or at least passing situations to kick inside next to Dexter Lawrence without Leonard Williams there, which could you know keep your best guys on the football field. And that's no knock to Justin Ellis or Nick Williams, who I feel like are playing solid football. But if you can kick Jihad Ward and still use his athletic ability as a 290 pounder, have him play like three technique or have him align wherever in passing situations, you can maintain his level of st- his skill set on the football field, so that could really bail the Giants out here.
1: Great call by you. And and when they were completely healthy, that's where I thought he'd be playing. If you know, when he got some of his snaps, I thought it would be more so on the defensive line as opposed to the OLB. Of course, we had injuries before the year started, and yeah, Jihad Ward is strong, man. He brought down Derrick Henry with one arm <laughs> in that in that first game, and I was like, wow, man, this guy's, this guy's got something. So that's a good call by you. With Leonard Williams out, he may get some snaps on that defensive line, especially now that we're hopefully. Healthy. I don't know. Like you said, I, we don't know how many snaps these guys are going to get. the Week one, coming back from the injury, but yeah, maybe War plays a little bit on the defensive line. Good point.
3: Definitely. Look at this comment.
1: I uh, Ay- yeah, Ay- <laughs> yeah. Ayub, Ayub Ayub is a very uh, and I get it. A lot of the Obed training. level
3: is he Obed's level.
1: No, Obed's on another. I had to call Obad uh,
2: Obed you. is on another level. I, I had, had to S- I, had, up, I had to right. mute Obed. He just he's too <laughs> intense. He's too intense.
1: When, when, when it gets personal, it's like it gets
2: it's, so it's, personal with it.
1: It's one thing to like not like a player and think that they're not the you, you think they need to be replaced eventually via the draft, and that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, I'm a Giants fan. As long as Daniel's my quarterback, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna support the guy and hope that he does the job. Of course, we're gonna be we're gonna give our fair takes on, on him, his play week to week. But, yeah, once you get personal and you start destroying the guy in terms of, like, off-the-field type stuff or whatever, it's just too much. But Ayub says DJ is holding us back. I don't know why fans can't accept that.
2: I'll I mean, say this, Ayub. Uh, at ahead. some point, they might write a book about the DJ, the Daniel Jones era of Giants Twitter and Giants fanhood, because it is it is very – I don't know how to – I try to say this in the nicest, most respectful way, Chris, but I – A lot of it I can't understand, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know if it's because he plays the position quarterback. I think it's mostly because people are just so set in their ways that, look, he's had such a bad situation around him. There's no possible way to evaluate him. Now, Dan,
1: let me me say this. I understand completely what you're saying where you don't understand it. You did witness the second half of Eli Manning's career, right? Yeah, Because he went through the same thing. The second half of his career where, you know, where he just like magically fell off a cliff in 2013 after he won a Super Bowl the year before, two years before, and everybody blamed everything on Eli Manning. So that's the nature of the position, the quarterback position. You're going to get more praise than you deserve when things are going good, and you're going to get more blame than you deserve when things are going bad. And people want to point to one person. Of course, the quarterback's generally going to get the bulk of the blame, and he doesn't deserve to be blameless. He's far from a perfect quarterback. Um, I think we all probably knew that when the New York Giants drafted him. I don't think any of us – I mean, I, I can't speak for you guys, but I didn't view him as like a Pat Holmes-level type talent. It's why I didn't love the pick uh, when the New York Giants made it. But if he's the New York Giants quarterback, I'm going to support him. I do see some of the good in his game. I look back to last week. You look at that touchdown drive, the couple of throws he made to Richie James on that drive were great. He had great zip on both of those throws, uh, especially the throw across his body. So there's some good things he could do. Would he have been my ideal pick? No, but he's a giant. And as long as the Giants starting quarterback, I'm going to hope he does a damn good job. And so far, I'll give him a C plus this year. And I know a lot of Giants fans; they look at you know all, all these film breakdowns and they want to destroy him for every little thing he does. And I understand it, but at the end of the day, like you were saying earlier, he's done some good things this year. He's made some plays when they needed to be made in a new offense with some of the limitations, with the poor line, with the poor wide receivers. So I I think that's all I try to be. I think that's what most content creators try to be you try to be fair when you evaluate these players so that's just my take on it
3: yeah, yeah i think, I, it, I think ahead, it's man. a good take too dan i mean chris dan that's it's very fair but daniel jones like it depends on what you want in your quarterback right like if you're trying to get justin herbert patrick right. mahomes like daniel jones he's not going to be that but to your point chris yeah to your point chris and i think it's a good point he's a new york giant right now he's still playing on his rookie deal he has shown us the ability to be a I think a above the average quarterback but it's not consistent. It's always been right. about a lack of consistency with Daniel Jones. Like he made so many clutch plays on Sunday. Then he also missed some reads and then he also th- almost threw a pick six that would have destroyed the Giants chances of winning the football game at that point. And all that is like a microcosm of who Daniel Jones has been this entire time and I and I stand with Daniel Jones in the sense that I I believe he has had just absolute crap around him since he came into the league. Yes. You can't
1: even even IU, if he's being fair can't deny that. Like Oh, uh, but just, I think
3: I I
2: don't, you can't deny that Chris, but I think an important thing that I hope we take into account because I do ultimately believe this is his last year in New York. I just yeah. don't think Shane and Dave will envision him as their quarterback. But as we move forward to the next one, I while we can agree with all of what was just said. He has had a bad low line. We don't need to go through all of it. He's had bad everything. We need to figure out as we go through this next guy that there is a way to evaluate these guys independent of what they have. And that's what me and Nick try to do on the podcast. And some of those things are the things we talk about. Does this person have next level arm talent? Can this person create out uh, out of structure when he's forced to throw off balance and from an off balance standpoint, can this person process a defense fast enough? Does he have a quick release? Does the ball get out of his hand fast? Does it take a while for him to get the ball out places? Does he have good pocket presence? Can he manipulate the pocket? None of those things in my mind have anything to do with all the things that weren't given to That's him. Fair, and fair. so as we move forward to the next quarterback, I want to make sure that we don't do this whole thing over again where we're just like, you know what? Until they have everything, we well, can't talk about it
1: why i don't think that is going to happen with the next quarterback yeah. because and maybe i'll be wrong okay because i think this next quarter if you know i'm going to say if because it's still i'm not I'm, he could be back but if we move on from daniel jones yeah. at the end of the year that new quarterback is going to inherit a situation at least the way it appears right now so much better. 10 times better <laughs> than what Daniel jones inherited yes you're gonna have andrew thomas who was already a pro bowl level tackle on the left side, coming in as a rookie, you're going to have Evan Neal, who you have to feel like at that point is advanced to an average-level right tackle, at least, you hope. And you're going to have an offensive system where the GM and head coach are married together. So, yep. much like, in my opinion, I thought the Giants made a mistake for Trimmer after one year. I said that long before he was fired, people were calling for it. He was not a good head coach, but he was a guy that had a lot to do with the drafting process of bringing Daniel Jones to fit his offense. That will not happen year one for the quarterback that we draft because Dable and Shane are married together. Dable's not getting fired after one year of drafting a rookie quarterback. They're going to try to mold that guy and grow him into something that's good. So there's going to be a lot more stability for whoever the New York Giants end up drafting if they move on from Daniel Jones. And I think he's going to be put in a much better situation than Daniel Jones ever was. And I think it's going to be much easier to evaluate him as a football player.
3: Great point, Chris. And you know what? They should go after that Penn State kid, Chad Powers. You know, that kid looks like he's going to win a couple of of Bowls.
2: Get Eli back! Get Eli back! (laughs) Yeah, honestly. But I
3: will say one more thing
2: with this, because I do think this is also important as we move forward. One of the biggest mistakes in my mind, at least in Nick's mind, because we've gone over this, is that after Eli Manning, we all knew after 2018, look, like, he's done, right? People thought that he was done, and he himself, like, you know, it was the end. You can't force this thing, right? Dave Gettleman wanted Justin Herbert. He went to three games, scouted him. Herbert went back to Oregon because he wanted to play with his brother. And then he spent the next three months convincing himself that Daniel Jones was going to be the guy. He liked how he talked. He liked how he commanded the huddle during the senior bowl. All things that ultimately aren't playing a big factor right now. So we're going to – if Daniel Jones fizzles out this year, and I hope that's not the case. But if he does, and by the time it gets to the offseason, the majority of the fan base has agreed we need a new quarterback – it might not be the year. And I think we have to accept that and understand that that could be the better option. If the giants had not drafted Daniel Jones in 2019, I think there's a very good chance today. They have Justin Herbert on the roster. And I think of, there's You're a very good chance. Language.
1: You're speaking my language. Everything could be different. Sin, the cardinal to. sin a GM can make is force a quarterback. Yep. And if the New York giants are not in a position and and people that hate Daniel Jones have to get this through their head. Yes. If the New York giants are not in a position, if we surprise this year and win 10 games and we're picking 20, It's easy for you to say, oh, just trade up. There there was not a team last year that drafted a quarterback. So every team's looking for a quarterback. There's multiple teams with multiple first-round picks. It is not going to be easy to trade up into the top eight, nine of this year's draft. So it may be the better option to roll with Jones for a year in a certain circumstance. That's why I don't even want to talk about it until such time the offseason's here. We see where we're picking. Evaluate the quarterback class. But the dumbest thing you could ever do as a general manager is force a quarterback pick because if you pick a guy that you're not enamored with, you're not in love with, that's a three- or four-year commitment if it's a first-round pick. So, Giants got to do this right.
2: Yep, you nailed it. But that also gets into my other thing. We don't have to do this now because this is better if we ever talk in the offseason. I want to do this again, Chris. But my next thing is if it – I play GM pretty fast and loose, look – if you know by after what year one or year two, based on the traits, based on the things that he that are independent, like I said, of the yeah. team around him, that that quarterback's not going to be it, I think you should move yeah, I on. I think yeah. years, I, think I don't think fair. you need to be doing this three, yeah. four, five year thing, get him everything perfect. I, listen, if see. I'm being
1: completely honest with you. I think yeah. the, the major reason why Jones is back is because of circumstance. Yes, had the John had this been a rich quarterback draft class. Joe Shane's drafted a quarterback.
2: hundred percent.
1: If this, if this was the, the draft class year before he's taking a quarterback, but yeah. it was because we had no cap space and it was because it was a very poor, arguably the worst quarterback yeah. draft in like the last 20 years. Um, so I think, I think it played into the locker
2: favor. year. Do you remember that one? EJ manual year, right? Where yeah, won- oh, that's 15th even worse. The EJ manual year. That yeah, he went
1: great. 15th to the Bills. So it's like, <laughs> I feel like everything played to Jones's favor. He got the opportunity and hopefully makes the most of it. And, so far he's played. Okay. He's, I'm, you know, I'm not saying he's played horrible. I'm not saying he's played great. He's played. Okay. And yeah, ha- and I'm hoping as a fan, cause he's a giant, I'm rooting for him. He gets progressively better over the course of the year. I think that's what I'm looking at this year. And we'll analyze the quarterback situation where the New York Giants stand at the end of the year.
3: Yep. And it makes sense for the Giants too. Right, Chris? Like this guy's still on his rookie deal. And you're in a rebuilding year right now where you're pretty young and you're trying to instill a whole nother culture, bringing in different, different personnel. Why not allow Jones just to compete in his last year, give him that opportunity. And even if it's realistic or not, that he's going to be around for a while, just allow that to happen. It's cheap instead of going out and signing like a Mitch Trubisky or something like that. So it makes sense from a giant standpoint, you just reevaluate after this year and then you take steps going forward. But I think you made a great point, man. There was a if this Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, if it was that draft, they probably would have went with one of those guys, like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields or someone like that.
1: And it works out for Shane because there's no pressure on him at all this year. Because yeah. if Jones takes off and becomes if he has like a Joe Burrow year, which is obviously not very likely, but if he does, he looks like a genius. Dable looks like a genius, right? And if he doesn't, you say, Well, Mr. Mara, we never drafted <laughs> <for> him <laughs> yeah. it's the most important position. Perfect. We now spent the year improving the rest of the team around our the guy that now we're going to hand pick. Now you're going to give us that opportunity to build this team for two or three more years. So it was a perfect situation for Shane because he's not even on the clock yet. The second he drafts that quarterback is when he goes on the clock.
2: Love it. You're right?
1: twenty six, man. Thank you very much, man. Got my Knicks ice cream ready for the stream. Yeah. That's uh, one of the YouTubers I work with. Uh, he, he's in the Knicks ice cream. I, okay. I, I
2: don't
1: know. He looks like he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he eats ice cream. Yeah. Remember?
2: I was going to say, it can't be this Nick, Nick Valada. This Nick Valada hasn't had a scoop of ice cream. Since <laughs> maybe <laughs> Nick, maybe, we maybe eight years old.
1: We were talking on Twitter, and obviously you're originally from the New Jersey area. When you came back to Jersey, it was like the first piece of pizza you've had in like years or something like that. You said <laughs> on Twitter, I was like, are you kidding me? How do you, how do you do it? How do you do
3: it? I don't know. I just, I just didn't eat pizza for like a whole decade. I don't know. You're in
1: Arizona. There's no pizza there. No, he well, didn't I eat pizza when Ari- he was
3: living in New Jersey. <laughs> I've only been in Arizona for like a year. Yeah, that was – yeah. But now every time I go back to Jersey, I go to Johnny Junior's in NetCon, yeah. and, I, and I get a nice slice of pizza with my father, and it's great.
1: What do, you, what, do you, what do you get on it? Wait, what, you what, dude, do you just eat one slice, dude? you
2: just – hold on, hold on, Chris. I, I need to – I, I like your question, but did you just – you literally eat one slice.
3: No, I'll have two sometimes. All right. Thank yeah. you. Sometimes. And, uh, I, whatever my dad gets, I'll just – right, All right, all yeah. right.
1: What do you go with? If, you, if you're getting you, – you get to handpick the slice. What are you getting?
3: You know what, man? I kind of have a thing for like barbecue chicken pizza.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah, well, or I buffalo chicken. That. I can roll with that. You drizzle it on. It look aesthetically, it looks good. It tastes got a little spice to it, you know. It's solid. I can go with you know that. what my
2: favorite is, which is also kind of an un- unlike, or uh, you know, unexpected call. Bacon pizza. I love a good bacon pizza with the real bacon that they actually fry up and put on the slice.
1: Yeah, I've never. Had, I've had. I don't think I've had that type of bacon on pizza. I. I. I mean, I'm a. I'm a traditional guy. I Go pepperoni. Yeah. Um. Buffalo chicken for sure. I like that as well. I mean, you can put any kind of meat on pizza. Nah, I'm it's not.
2: so good. Pizza is so fucking good. Nick, <laughs> get it together, man. Yeah, man. a little.
1: Once you come back to the tri state area, you got to start eating more pizza. I don't want you to gain weight, but you, you got to sprinkle it into your There's diet. So no shot
2: he's doing this. Trust me. If anyone's going to get him to eat by this point, it might have been me just by peer pressure. And he's, he's so strong. He won't hey. eat it. He, this guy <laughs> eats like under 13 carbs a day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: good for him. Julian, man. Thank you very much, man. With uh, Kevon Thibodeau and Aziz jewelry coming back. And Leo out. I would like to see Ward move. Yeah, we were kind of we were talking about that earlier to the three technique. And I'm excited to see Jalen Smith. I think he offers more than Blake would have. Mm. I really think we are building a bully on D. Well, for sure. And you know where you know where I really started to realize, Julian and guys, like where I felt like we were building a bully on D. Week one, when I saw a Dory Jackson hitting like he was a safety. I'm like, what? You, you just got that vibe. Like, yeah, we are building a bully on D. Like, they, they are a much more physical defense under Wink. You wouldn't envision a Dory being a heavy hitter, but he was laying the wood week one. Um, so, yeah, for sure. That's a great point you brought up, Julian, that we are building a bully on D. And uh, yeah, also sprinkling, as you, as you feed up what I just said, sprinkling Jalen Smith as well and talk about what you think he could bring to the defense.
3: Absolutely. But physicality typically leads to an undisciplined nature, right? Just like off the cuff but not with this team at all. This team is very disciplined in their gap and their responsibilities. And They still, despite that, rally to the football which I think is something from like a technical standpoint that not every team would do. If they were aggressive, they're typically going to abandon their responsibilities prematurely. Not with this team. They're aggressive, yet they maintain their discipline in their gaps, which allows them to string Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey all the way to the sidelines, trying to force a cutback and allowing that unblocked defender to just nail them, which we've seen several times this year. But as for Jalen Smith... I don't know how big of a role he will have, and if he does, it might be a little bit simplified since he only has a week in the building, but I would love to see him out there because what I saw from him last year when he was on the Giants, explosiveness, acceleration, burst through the hole. Those are things that Wink Martindale can certainly leverage. So I'm hoping that he can find the field because I think he can offer more than – I think he can offer something different than any linebacker on this team. I don't know if he can offer more than a Tay Crowder right now, and Dan and I aren't particularly high on Tay Crowder. But I do think he can offer something a little different from a blitzing standpoint, which we know Wink Martindale would love to see. And for For me,
2: I almost wonder if, so with with the Jalen Smith thing, obviously it's not going to be week one, his first game with the Giants, like Nick said, there's going to take some time, but. I almost wonder if he can offer something that none of these line not none of these linebackers, but that I don't feel Tay Growder does a good job of. And that's just pure linebacker instincts. There are times where I just don't feel like he's in free. Tay Growder's where he needs to be to make a run stop. Very few tackles for losses with with Tay Crowder in the run game. And Jalen Smith's been playing this position at a high level. I know he's had the injuries, he's not the player he was, of course, but and Notre Dame, he was a hell of a player in his, in his early career with the Cowboys. He was a hell of a player, and oh, instincts played a big role say. in that, the, the, la- the natural linebacker instincts. And one thing I wanted to also add about your Adori comment because it's so cool. They're building a bully, but one thing that really stands out to me from what you, you guys both said, one, what Nick said, which is they're fast and aggressive rallying to football but also discipline. And like you said, we've got corners and safeties coming up the run game. The only way you get that to happen, and I think a lot of the time none of us really talk about it. there's an emotional aspect to football. These guys have fully bought into what Wink is preaching to them. They love to play for this guy, and they love to play within his system. And I think that's a big rise, reason why you see everything that we just mentioned. And that doesn't always happen, and that's why I think it could be a really great situation, a unique situation, and like you said, building a bully on this defensive side.
1: I've been so bl- – I was very nervous about this defense. I'll be the first to say it. Of course, I'll say um, yeah even before the Thibodeau and old Jalari injuries, I was very nervous because I didn't necessarily think the personnel matched up with what Wink was going to be looking to do yep. because of our limitations at that second cornerback spot. And the fact now you're asking a Dory to be a one and it's still early. Granted, we've gone up against literally Baker Mayfield, and Ryan Tannehill. We haven't gone up against world beaters. You'll get the rest of our schedule though, outside of Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> We're not going up against the best quarterbacks in the league. So no. I, I, I do think this defense could be good this year and next year if wink remains on who knows maybe gets a coaching job who knows but if wink remains on and the giants say sign like a legitimate linebacker and you get yourselves like a legitimate cornerback too if aaron robinson doesn't or cordell flott doesn't develop into that in free agency or via the draft or whatever this defense could be really really good And, and i i think we've gotten we've gotten a glimpse of that just with his ability to be able to scheme up pressure uh, the first couple of weeks against these, uh, these these, you know, obviously against Carol, more so Carolina week one. I was excited, but Carolina it really hit home for me.
2: Yeah, because think about what Wink's entire system is predicated on. It's and I love how Nick always talks about this because he's so right. It's predicated on making the quarterback uncomfortable, forcing him to make a decision before he wants to make a decision, dictate the terms. And guess what? One thing that's not changing in the NFL is. Quarterbacks are not getting better. There's still only what two handfuls, maybe more, maybe probably less of good quarter, really good quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's just not changing for whatever reason. People are, you know, they're having trouble developing these guys to the college ranks and early, even earlier in that. So that's going to be the same. We're still going to have bad quarterbacks on the schedule every single year, and they're going to struggle with this kind of defense.
3: Yeah, Similar but, to the offensive line too, man. Like yeah. offensive linemen, they're not coming out as advanced as Great. in previous years because of just the way the college game has progressed over the last several seasons. So those guys are having a learning curve as well. And we saw Wink Martindale take advantage of Taylor Moten, who's a seasoned veteran on that Julian Love sack to end the game. But on the previous drive, he took advantage of Ikemi Kwanu in that same area. So just using Julian Love up at the line of scrimmage, you align O'Shane Zimenez off wide. Ikemi Quanu and Taylor Moten have to pay attention to Zimenez until the snap and then once O'Shane drops off Julian Love's already coming through the b-gap you got to be so decisive and so quick to pivot off your outside foot and shoot into that b-gap to pick up someone much smaller than you but much more explosive than you in Julian Love it's the way he manipulates opposing protection packages that I absolutely adore and love and it harasses the hell out of opposing Mm -hmm. quarterbacks especially these young ones and these shorter ones like Baker Mayfield yeah
1: And 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 I'm gonna tell you what week one with Tannehill We weren't getting much pressure. They did a very good job in terms of bottling up the pressure, but there was even like two or three plays where when you watched it back, we got nowhere near Tannehill, but Tannehill still felt like he was being pressured because he didn't know where it was coming from. He had all day to throw, but he had a mental clock in his head because he felt like they were coming because he didn't think his line was going to be able to hold up. And he threw the ball away. It happened at least two or three times where you saw that with Ryan Tannehill. Now a great quarterback like Rogers, you're probably not going to get that, but you're not playing Aaron Rodgers every week. So, um, you know, you, you, you see the impact that his, his aggressiveness and it's refreshing. I like Patrick Graham, but listen, I got a little bit sick of seeing them stay, you know, sit back and in third, third and eight and playing back 10 yards off the ball and playing bend, but don't break. No, Wink's going to put it to you. He's going to take that chance and he's going to see if his defense can close out the game and thus far, I mean, five for 23, uh, uh the, the, uh, opposing offenses on third down. So that's Patrick, the big- what- why we're too,
3: oh, sorry, Chris. Patrick Graham would drop eight a lot. Like the way yep. the Giants beat Seattle in 2020 yep. was send three drop eight. That's the completely different mentality <laughs> from Wink Martindale who aligns on the line of scrimmage with eight. Will sometimes come with seven, sometimes come with six, sometimes come with five, sometimes come with four and a simulated pressure. Good luck guessing protection package where the hell it's coming from. Yep. yep.
1: Absolutely. Big move. He says, who did, uh, who did we take instead of Michael Parsons? We traded down. Um, we traded down. We ended up getting Kader's Tony, um, yeah, we traded down, but had, we stayed, I, th- I, I still think to this day, had we stayed, I don't think we would have taken Parsons. I think the giants were scared off from the character concerns. I think we yeah. if we stayed, I think, we I don't think it. so from everything I've heard so behind the
2: scenes. Yeah. From everything I heard, beside, it's really disappointing too, because to, to think that they wouldn't have taken Slater or Parsons there, this is of course the prior regime, which I hated to begin with, but to think that they wouldn't take one of those two is disappointing. But I, from what I've heard, they were not going, uh, offensive tackle, no matter what their uh, offensive line, no matter what there. And I think they honestly would have taken Gader's Tony. That is oh my, my prediction. God. That's what I think would have happened.
1: Oh my God. Just my thought. It's, a, it's just a
2: guess. It's just an opinion and a guess knowing the past regime, things that they've done in the well, past. He was
1: obviously their next wide receiver on their board. Exactly. The right? uh, yep. and- receiver and- did not go.
3: Dude. What a what? Yeah, exactly. What an amazing guy said. I was just about to bring that up. What a wild circumstance because Dallas and Philly traded in that situation. The giants would have went, with Devonta Smith. Oh,
1: they were taking Devonta Smith. Yes, they would have 100%. taken Devonta
3: Smith. And the Eagles jumped up with Dallas and drafted him. And that changed the entire trajectory. Of the NFC East, that affected three teams directly. So the Giants end up trading back. And because of that trade back, now they had two picks in the top 10 because both the Giants and Bears sucked in 2021. Now they get a right tackle out of it. Dallas gets this amazing player in Micah Parsons and the Eagles get Devonta Smith. It's just crazy how that one trade changed so much for three different franchises.
2: And look, the Eagles are are looking hot right now. and And me and Nick both think they have an unreal roster. We're still not so sold on Hertz. We'll see what happens there. But guess what? I love Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL. But if they traded out Devontae Smith for Micah Parsons right oh. now, oh, my or God, Slater. would that team they're, be they're scared. Their line,
1: their line no, they don't even
2: need Slater. But, but, yeah, he could be help at guard, sure. But imagine Micah Parsons on that defense Yo, right now.
1: Of course, Parsons oh is, is, is the biggest. God. One. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they did. Well, I mean, yeah. it's the Cowboys, it's Cowboys. Cowboys. It didn't
2: work out that good so for it's us. It's but... poison,
1: right? <laughs> it's just horrible how it all played out. It's just so crazy to me that the Giants trade out, and then literally the two best players, or at least the way it looks right now, yeah. in that draft were Slater and Parsons, the two yep. guys who were at least the guy, the two guys that most fans wanted with that. Yeah, um,
3: At least that speaks He's positively. If the Giants end up rattling off eight to nine wins here, that maybe there's going to be talent still available in the teams if the Giants right, can draft right. in a future draft.
1: Yeah, yeah good point. Good point. Duran says Lawrence Taylor is attending Monday. Michael, auditioned. yeah, I read that, that he's going to be showing up to uh, at least partially. The partial reason is to see uh,
2: Parsons. Oh. What,
1: what do you guys think of that when you hear that from Cowboys fans, you hear from NFL fans, <laughs> Parsons is the next Lawrence Taylor?
2: Oh, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard is when I hear that. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor changed the entire game, the way that the game is played right now. There yeah. was Before Lawrence Taylor, there were really no three, four outside linebackers, at least not like that at all. He changed how the game was played. It's a stupid comment. I love Micah Parsons. I think he's an unreal talent, but come on, let's. Listen, let's be Micah
1: Parsons here. had one of the greatest defensive rookie years ever. Yes. He was statistically great.
2: speaking. Yep. Yeah. And in he, general and agree. Yeah.
1: He completely changed that Dallas defense. You got to give Quinn some credit as well, especially seeing that because Parsons came in kind of as a middle linebacker. He said, no, we're going to, we're going to bring you in, let you do what you do best is was going to rush off the edge. Um, so Dan Quinn did a great job with that defense as well as the defensive coordinator, but Parsons was tremendous. But to compare him to arguably the greatest player, not just greatest defensive player, yeah. arguably the greatest player in the history of the National Football League, this early into his career is ridiculous. Nice. I laugh at it. It's just funny to me.
3: Yeah, it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, it's just Cowboys fans trying to hang on the coattails of giant greats, bro. Yeah, look. That's all it is. That's it's always. either they, it's either they do that
2: or they get they search their house, they look through everything, and they find the VCR to put in their last playoff run and rewatch <laughs> that. It's <laughs> one or the other. It's true. It.
1: They, they they need a VCR in order to see their last Super Bowl. That's that's for yep. sure. Uh CD Lamb wasn't even born yet. The last time they
3: <laughs> <won>. <laughs> I will say this though, I'm scared of Michael Parsons Monday night. No. I am well, he's, scared he's, of Michael. He Parsons.
1: He's gonna be going yeah. up against Evan yeah. Neal. You should I be. know
3: that Giants are going to need to keep a tight end in. They're going to need to use a running back to chip a lot, a lot of help for him. And that's not necessarily a knock on Evan Neal, but Evan Neal didn't look all that great. If we're just going to be honest, ah, oh, Dan disappeared. He'll be back. He probably yeah.
1: popped out by action. He'll be back.
3: Yeah, Evan, I mean. Neal, Evan Neal didn't look amazing in week two. And he's still a rookie. He has the length and the athletic ability to recover. But Micah Parsons is the real deal as a pass rusher. And that's definitely something that Dan Quinn is going to attempt to exploit. So it's going to be on Mike Kafka to keep extra protection in there to really protect him. Hey, what's up, buddy?
2: I don't know what happened there, but apparently I lost internet. Now I'm on the bottom of the screen. Now I like this. I like this positioning better. A so. Cowboys
3: fan controls yeah. your internet. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> Let's read a couple of these. Patrick says... Uh, Robinson, uh, Aaron Robinson's, uh, seen as a liability during preseason, but he's been playing well. well. he didn't play last week. He was hurt. What adjustments have you guys seen?
3: Well, From- yeah, I mean,
1: he didn't play last week. He played week one, but week one, he played. Yeah. I, I didn't think he played poorly week one. I thought he played better actually than I thought he would in the preseason. He was bad. Um, Darnie Holmes was the one that kind of stood out to me. Week one as a guy that really struggled in the slot, but it's only been one week. And, and then he had his appendix removed or whatever it was. So. Um, you know, we'll see when he gets back out on the football field. I'm still not completely sold on Robinson as an exterior corner. I still think he's probably better suited to play the slot, which is what the Giants drafted him for uh, to begin with. But week one, yeah, he played pretty well, I thought. I thought he did better than I yeah. thought he would.
3: Yeah. yeah, he played He played much better than I think a lot of giant fans expected because he struggled in preseason. I think the talent is there. I think the athletic ability is there for Aaron Robinson. He just needs to be a little bit more technically refined. He needs to do a better job getting his eyes on the football when the ball is in the air, going into the catch point. That's something he struggled with. And he just needs to be better at the line of scrimmage with his feet, essentially. that Those are the things that Aaron Robinson needs to work on. I think the talent is there. Now he just needs to put it all together. The appendectomy doesn't help because it just takes him off the field. And now there's a recovery process, obviously.
1: Who do you think projects better in terms of a boundary corner, uh, Cordell, Flot or Robinson?
3: Interesting. See, Flot doesn't have a lot of experience there. I liked what I saw in week one. If I had to guess right now, maybe I would maybe I'd go with Flot just because of the overall length that he has. And he doesn't even have that long of arms, but he He's just looks really long out there. But I think it's kind of 50-50. I'm not really steadfast on either one of them. I think both of them still have a lot to prove.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Pete says, Dan, do you agree with my response to you on Twitter today?
3: Oh, I missed
2: it. I'm sorry, Pete.
1: That if a quarterback is missing number one on your list, just can't be a franchise quarterback. DJ needs uh, to dramatically change.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Pete. Uh, On. Today, you know, I broke down, I, I put a tweet out early in the morning, like, because I think it's important to note, like part of the reason the Giants are 31st in passing yards is they don't have a good wide receiver situation right now. That's just the fact of the matter. Look around the NFL. There's teams with Waddle and Tyreek, Devontae Smith and, and, and AJ Brown. And we've got David Sills on the outside last game playing 94% of the snaps. So it's not all DJ, but I did rank it as the number one thing right now is Daniel Jones processing faster, seeing the field better. And then obviously having better pocket manipulation. Number two, I put wide receiver number three, offensive line to me, how I see it. But I think Pete's right. If as a quarterback, you cannot process the field fast and have a quick release to get the ball out. And you don't have good pocket manipulation. You will never be a franchise quarterback. So yes, I agree with your response, Pete. That is that if that thing's missing, there's nothing else you can do to, to replace it.
1: Yeah. I, I'm in agreement with you. If he does not improve as a quarterback, he, he's nowhere near a franchise quarterback to this point in his career. That's just the fact of the matter. And I'm harsh when it comes to franchise quarterbacks. Yeah. This is, everybody has a different definition for franchise quarterback. Yes. Some people view Kirk cousins or, or Dak right. as franchise quarterbacks. I do not.
2: Me too. Um, I don't my, want that.
1: Yeah. My definition of a franchise quarterback, guys, this is my exact definition. He needs to be a player that could eat up 15 to 20% of your cap and still compete to win Super Bowl. Yes. And this is why I hate,
2: Chris, when – you nailed it. I didn't mean to cut you off. But this is why I hate when everyone says – because when when you say that or when I say that, because we have a very similar take on this, which is why I want to strive for that or nothing else. They always say, "Well, Eli Manning was then. Was Eli Manning friends quarterback?" I'm like, "Yes, you want to know why?" Eli Manning is one of only four
1: quarterbacks, by the way, in the history of the NFL that's won a Super Bowl, leading up ten percent of the cap or more, and he did it twice. Why you go?
2: I didn't know that stat. Now I'm going to use that often because I love that set. Was that four? <laughs> was that four quarterbacks? He said,
1: "Yeah, it was. It was okay. Maybe it's changed, maybe Stafford, but I, I don't okay. think so. Stafford wasn't making a ton of money, right. But uh, I'll say
2: this, when people say the Eli Manning argument, I say, look, one thing Eli Manning had that a lot of these guys, Kirk Cousins, who's horrible in prime time, for example, don't have is he put, he gave his bet, his best play ever came in the playoffs. And we even heard Antro Roll talk about why that's ha- why that happened. And I don't remember exactly now. I don't want to misquote him, but mm-hmm. Eli Manning rose in the playoffs. He had 11 touchdowns, of to zero picks or one pick in that, tw- in that second run that he had. And also in the Super Bowl, he played unbelievable as well in both games, especially the second Super Bowl. Bowl, where he had literally the greatest throw in Super Bowl history, the one to Manningham down the left sideline. An inch to the right, it's broken up, an inch to the left, it's broken up, an inch less velocity. It doesn't, it's not a completion. Everyone says the catch. It's the throw there. And so
1: I, I actually got it by the way. I don't mean to cut you up. I just found yeah, the list. I just think it's a very interesting topic, and I don't want yep. to forget to bring it up. This is a list of quarterbacks. And you're going to notice, by the way, none of these quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl, eating up 20% of the cap, which a lot of these wow. quarterbacks do in today's day and age. But this is a list. 2009, Peyton Manning with the Indianapolis Colts ate up 18.8%. That's the highest total ever. Then you got Matt Ryan. He didn't win, though. He went right. to a Super he Bowl. He just went there. He didn't win. Uh, Peyton Manning in 2013 with Denver, he was kind of carried. To, actually, he didn't win, right? He didn't.
2: uh no, not in
3: 2013.
1: No. Nope. This is just making This is Super
2: just Bowl. making
3: it. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So I don't Did Peyton win in 2009? I don't know if he did.
3: Now, Peyton Uh, won in 2015 and in in 2009, I believe. Okay, so he
1: won one with the Colts. Matt Ryan didn't win. Peyton Manning didn't win in 13. Tom Brady, 2021, he won with the Bucs, 12.61. Then you got Tom Brady in 2018, 12.42. Peyton Manning, 12.21. He did win in 2015, more so carried by the defense. Then you got Eli, 11.71. And you'll notice Eli on the bottom, 10.75. So it's Brady, Eli, Peyton, and that's it. Yeah. In the history of the NFL – Quarterbacks who have eaten up more than ten percent of the salary cap that have won a Super Bowl. Everybody that destroys Eli Manning, Brady, Eli, Peyton. Yeah. That's it. And and that's why I don't. I'm not going to pay a quarterback that Dang. I don't think is an elite quarterback that kind of money. I don't view you as a franchise quarterback.
3: I'd rather you move on. on. Yeah, you should tweet that. You're, yeah, you it's should a good tweet, tweet that. And it's 2006 where Peyton won. He actually lost in 2009. Okay. Okay. So just yeah.
1: one time Peyton did it. Two times, Eli, did it, and maybe three times Brady. It, yeah, whoever, whatever.
3: Brady always does it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. But still, I mean, that that to me is a franchise quarterback. Why am I going to pay a guy 15 to 20% of my cap to be a pretty good team? Yep. When I can reset the rookie clock, most teams are going to win the Super Bowl when the quarterback's on the rookie salary based off what these quarterbacks make. So you got to be damn good for me to be willing to give you an extension. So that's just the way I look at it. Everybody yep. looks at it differently.
3: Especially when you view some of these quarterbacks that have been coming out of college over the last half decade. Some of these yeah. aliens, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> Justin Herbert. Herber. Yeah. Crazy. It's just insane. You, that's those are the type that's the level of talent you need to invest in a second contract that's going to eat up 10% of your cap.
1: Yeah. Even more with what these guys are making. Yeah. Let's let's get to uh Tom. He says, Can Tibbs be as impactful as Parsons year one? I'll start, then I'll let you guys No. Uh, I'm not gonna expect that year one. I'm not gonna put those kind of expectations on him. I think he'd be good. I think he'd be really good. I'm a big fan of Kayvon Thibodeau. But, I mean, no. Micah Parsons, did he win Defensive Player of the Year last year? If he didn't, he was certainly in the final running of it. I'm not going to expect that from a rookie year one with Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Do I think he could have an impact? Yes. Do I think he could benefit from playing in Wink's scheme? Yes. Do I think he could benefit from going up against mediocre mediocre quarterbacks this year that are going to really struggle to try to pick up what Wink is trying to do? Yes. So, I do think there's going to be opportunities for Thibodeau this year. But do I think he's going to have that kind of impact? That's asking a lot year one. I'm not going to go that far.
3: And there are situations like we saw in, uh, against the Carolina Panthers where the safeties are getting the sacks. Darnay Holmes are getting the sacks. And Thibodeau or O'Shane Jimenez, they're just acting as people who drop into coverage. It's part of his deception, Wink Martindale. So sometimes they're not attributed sacks to O'Shane Jimenez, but he was a big reason why the tackle never got to the point where he needed to get to.
1: Good point. Danny Duds. <laughs> oh, you're going to get a lot of these. Will DJ throw more than 10 touchdowns this year? I can't wait for him to be gone. Has any backup level quarterback had as many chances as this guy?
2: He'll definitely throw more than 10 because they've already schemed him up two free ones. The Bellinger TD was, no offense, not really him. And the other TD, Demirik, was, no offense, not really him. Those are Kafka TDs, according to me, at least. I, mean, I agree. They were wide yeah. open. Yeah. And he didn't do much on either of them. But So he'll get over there. As far as the second thing is, um, that's a good question. I'd have to look back through how every team is. Kind I'm going to give you that. a quarterback. I'm going to yeah. give you a
1: quarterback that I, I, and he eventually became a good quarterback that got several chances early on in his career and went through a very similar situation to Daniel Jones did. I think he had like six different offensive coordinators in his first seven years in the league. Alex Smith, Alex Dude. Smith was really bad. Yeah. His first four or five years in the league to the point where people thought he wasn't even going to latch on and stay in the NFL. And then he got Jim Harbaugh came over to the San Francisco 49ers. Of course they went to the NFC title game his fifth or sixth year there, then got replaced by Kaepernick, went to the Chiefs with Andy Reid, had a very good career after that. So there's a couple of instances where you could say, yeah, go and look at Alex Smith's stats. They're not pretty. Uh, Before Jim Harbaugh got there with the 49ers, Tannehill's another one. Tannehill wasn't very good with Miami, probably a little bit better than DJ's been up to this point in his career, but not very good. And then he got a better opportunity with the Titans. So there's examples. Um, But neither one of those guys ended up being franchise quarterbacks, if we're being honest. As good as Alex Smith was – wasn't a franchise quarterback. He got replaced twice. Right. He got replaced by Kaepernick and then he got replaced by Pat Mahomes. So, um, neither one of those teams viewed him as a franchise quarterback. A franchise quarterback's a guy that you want to stick around for 10 to 15 years. Um, but yeah, I definitely think he's throwing more than 10 touchdowns, provided he stays on the field. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said er, at the top of the stream or earlier during the early portion of the stream, I think this will be Daniel Jones's best year as a pro. Um, statistically and I'm gonna, speaking. Yeah, statistically speaking. So, That's my take, and I think a lot of it, like you said, is going to have to do with the offensive play calling and the scheme and everything else. You think about those two touchdowns. Come up with an easier two touchdowns that he had with Jason Garrett. You can't.
2: Yeah. That's you what know? me and me and Nick were trying to rack our brains to think of even one free touchdown. Jason free square touchdown. Jason Garrett gave the Giants. I couldn't think of really yeah, any. The one that, Andrew one Thomas Chris, one, maybe I
3: guess. Andrew Thomas and the one to Chris Myrick, which was a similar. Oh, type yeah, of touchdown, you're right. He too. did have a
1: even single. That, though, was it free? Like Myrick yeah. had to catch it with his <laughs> leg. It was kind yeah. of. <laughs> and, and
2: then another one was a tackle had to catch the ball.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these, these two, I mean, we didn't see that with Jason Garrett. Don, man. Thank you very much, man. Kenny Galladay is another Nate Solder. Yeah, listen, I tried to be as fair as I was with Gettleman. He made some good moves. Obviously, overall, he was an epic failure. And his two bad, worse moves were those. Um, I would challenge anybody in the chat, since 2018, which is when Gettleman took over for the New York Giants, not just with the Giants, but in the NFL, can you think of a worse free agent signing when you factor in the years and the money mm-hmm. for the two players that we gave gave to both Kenny Galladay and Nate Solder? Because I don't think I can.
2: Ever,
3: ever, or oh, what? since 2018. Oh, uh, since 2018. I was going to say since Albert. Albert. I want uh, to say I, this, Don. I'm wondering, did you spell his name incorrectly on purpose, Soilder? Because that would be a low key, such a such a good little subtle shot if you did that on purpose. And I want to give you props, Don. Jimmy you know if what?
1: If he didn't, he should say that he did. Yeah, you're absolutely. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Full on
3: do that. I will say this though, and I've said this on Big Blue Banter, and I think it is true. Dave Gettleman needed to do something about the left tackle position back in 2018. Yeah. The Eric Flowers couldn't be the starter heading into the 2018 season. And I think that was one reason that prompted him to sign Nate Solder. Now, as much money, not getting as creative with the contract, I think those things can easily be chastised. But what would the fan base have done if we went into 2018? Let's go back to when it was 2017, it was Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers starting. Go back there. If they went in and they didn't do anything in free agency when they had an opportunity to, we would have rioted. You know, Listen, so like that's at the end of the day,
1: you're absolutely right. We could all play Monday morning GM. When they signed sold I was happy. I most people were because it was such an immediate need. They had to do it, especially with bringing Eli Manning back, which you could certainly argue may have not been the right decision, but they did. You needed to shore up that offensive line as quickly as possible because you were trying to win then and there once you brought back a 37-year-old quarterback. So it was, in the moment, it was a completely understandable move, just like Galladay was. Galladay was an understandable move. So
2: I'll say this on both of those. I, I think that as far as the Nate soldier move goes, I was supporting it and I still will support it because like you said, they needed to get a tackle. It's worth spending on a tackle. They already missed on Andrew Whitworth. So I wouldn't actually consider that one of his worst moves, even though it ended up being the player that it
1: was a move that made sense. That was a horrible,
2: but the Kenny Galladay one from what I've heard, man, that hip surgery, the, do- the Giants doctors, the, what they got back on that hip surgery, they said he'll never be the same player again, the doctors who did it. And he signed him anyway. And I just wonder, man. If Edelman that's was, true,
1: then he's a moron. It's ridiculous.
2: That's what I heard. It's I don't know if that's true. That's hearsay from a friend of mine or a friend of a friend of mine who I went to a concert with whose sister works in that hospital and said she worked on the surgery. So a I trust it. Parts. There's a lot of connecting parts. But when we think about it, what wide receiver has gotten hip surgery and come back, and been just as athletic and just as explosive that is not a good surgery for a wide receiver and we also have proof of him doing something similar to a lesser degree with kyle rudolph kyle rudolph they found out he needs surgery on his foot he and has he plantar fasciitis out of the
1: contract he and he could have got, got out
2: of the contract and said no we're the new york giants we do things honorably and respectably so we have to stick with this contract so i just wonder if that was a similar situation there with galladay so Look, Gettleman was a guy who I thought should have been out immediately. I was clear about it. People hated me for it. And I don't know what to say, but he did a lot of damage to this roster.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, Joe Shane's cleaning it up and hopefully he does a good job. Thank God. He inherited, you know, Joe Shane inherited an even worse situation than Gettleman did. And that's that's saying a lot. (laughs) That's saying
2: a lot. lot. (laughs) Exactly. What I
1: will say, what I will say, uh, there are some core pieces here from the Gettleman regime that I do think Andrew Thomas, yep. Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney, McKinney. Yep. Evan Neal is kind of a Gettleman guy because we traded back, and True. Gettleman would have taken Evan Neal. I think any GM would have taken Evan Neal with that pick with Nate Solder. At right. So he left them with at least something to work with. Yep. Um, obviously, a horrible cap situation year one, but it is what it is. It's water under the bridge. He's gone. Yeah, yeah it's
2: water under the bridge.
1: Builds this team the right way. Yeah, that's oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Nick.
3: You. No, you're good. I was just saying that's astutely put, and I think that's a great way to look at it because – We could all light the pitchforks with Dave Gettleman, and we all have, and to (laughs) some degree, rightfully so. But Xavier McKinney, Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal, those are dudes right there. It's just he was
1: awkward.
3: yes. Evan Neal because of the the trade, obviously. It's just the, uh, I don't know. There's certain things, man. Like, I don't, we don't need to circle back, but, like, drafting Saquon Barkley at two is something that, like, not looking for a trade is always something that has bothered me a little bit. But at the end of the day, there are building blocks that the next GM Joe Shane can now build. And hopefully this team can become respectable. The New York giants that we all come to expect, because that's who this franchise is, man. We're supposed to be great. And the last decade has just been abysmal. Oh,
1: as bad as it gets. We, well, I honestly think we have been the worst team in the NFL since our last Super Bowl. Yeah. It's also the, the jets.
2: I think it's also the jets. Also
1: the jets. It's really close. And <laughs> <It, it, laughs> Both teams, the two worst teams in the NFL over that time span, which is insane.
2: It is. Um,
1: insane. Abe says, I could see Xavier covering Pollard. Like, yeah, we kind of said that earlier, yeah. Abe, and I, I think that's going to be the game plan. Mm-hmm. Powered is a big-time threat in the passing game. He's also a big-time threat in the running game. He's a really explosive player. So I think they're going to come out with a similar defensive game plan in terms of using more safeties than they did in Week 1 against Tennessee, which makes sense. Tennessee had a big thumper. You needed yeah. more size out there. In this matchup, you kind of have a more versatile – guy coming out of the backfield that could pose a threat to your linebackers and coverage. Unpopular opinion, man. Thank you so much, man. I watch all you guys and y'all are some of the best on YouTube and Twitter. Thank you. And we appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. I do think it's possible that they franchise tag DJ next year if they make the playoffs. What's your thoughts on MYG22? Yeah, um, I do think that's possible. But what I'm going to say Here's what I'm going to say. I kind of said earlier, I do think it's possible. If we win 10 games and we're not in a position to get a quarterback, you have two options if you're going to roll with DJ for another year. You either, A, if you come to the distinction, we're going to roll with him for another year, okay? So there's no choice. We're not bringing him back. We're bringing him back. We're bringing him back for one year, and then we're going to see. You either franchise tag him for, I think it'll be about $32 million, and you have no wiggle room with that cap space. You have to commit $32 million, or you do something similar and I don't think DJ and his agent would have much of a like to stand on personally if he didn't Me have a couple year. You give him a deal similar to like the Raiders did with Carr, people just look at the dollar amount and they go, oh, my God, $120 million. But really look at the deal. Carr is only going $20 million against the cap this year, and next year it's like $40 million against the cap, but it's only $5 million if you cut him in terms of dead cap space. I think that's the smarter approach if you're going to bring Jones back because it doesn't hit the cap as much, and you could still easily get out of there after one year if Jones doesn't start to really – progress into becoming an elite quarterback. So I think that's the better option as opposed to a a franchise take.
3: I would take a step down and even go with maybe a deal yep. more akin to Mitchell yep. Trubisky's deal. Maybe a yep. little bit more no. sweet in the pot. Right. But a deal like that that you not can much. get out of in one year.
1: So basically we all agree a year where you're not committing more than a year.
2: Yes, of yeah. course. You cannot commit more than a year, but I also don't think you can go ahead and give him that franchise tag number because you're looking to improve your team next offseason if you're Joe Shane. And when you allocate $33 million in cap space to, the, to that player, a position like that, I mean, it's just, it makes it really difficult. So the Trubisky deal, I think is fair. I mean, look, even if they win nine or 10 games, it might not be because Daniel Jones took some big step. We've talked about this all pot all show today. We've talked about that. So what ground does he really have to stay on, stand on? He has three years of bad tape, in my opinion. And then one year of, I guess, good stats, but I don't know. The tape hasn't been good so far. We see how he plays this year. Yeah, this is too too early for it. Completely
1: fair, right? Like what if he does become like a, a good quarterback this year. Then he yeah. has a bit more of a market. But regardless, even if he does, if he has a car like year from last year, and car mm-hmm. was really good last year, yeah, no, I like car last year, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility. It's possible you do what they did with car. You give him that one year, yeah. and then you could get out after one year. Regardless of what the dollar amount for next year, you have to be able to move some of that money so you give yourself some more wiggle room than just committing thirty-two million dollars to Daniel Jones, where you can't move the money at all. I think. If they stick with Jones, I, I think that's the more proper approach. Yeah. Danny uh, does. It's inconsistent equals a backup or or a guy that's not a franchise quarterback. Um, yeah, you, There's plenty of inconsistent quarterbacks that are still good enough to start around the league. They're like James Winston, for example, or yeah. Ryan Cannell, for example, or,
3: you, you can know, make I, an I mean, argument he, for Kyler Murray, who we all probably love in terms of his talent, but he's been relatively inconsistent throughout his career as well.
1: Yeah, he's not a franchise quarterback. A franchise quarterback's a guy that you stick around for ten to fifteen years. And I think Kyler
3: could be, but I just want yeah. him to be more consistent.
1: I agree. I think Kyler could be. I still think Arizona was a little crazy to give him that extension, but I, I, really I would. Yeah, Tommy DJ is taking heat from the fans, but you can't name two above-average pass catchers he's had on the field at the same time. Give him talent, and that's fair, because you can't. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe for a game.
2: But to, be fair, right. th- to be fair, though, we could look at this Chiefs roster right now and say, besides Travis Kelsey, is there really even any talent at the receiver position right now? Juju okay. Smith-Schuster isn't the player he was, if he ever was. I think he honestly benefited from just having Antonio Brown taking all the coverage. Then they have, like, Marquez, valdes Scantling, and and players like that at receiver and he's still torching defense this week after we He's not last week we all realize
1: that right right but it's yeah. just yeah.
2: my point my point being like I hate the argument that like you gotta look at the supporting cast to me the number one thing is the actual player then comes the supporting cast
1: that's fair and I and I think scheme's important too you know I th- I think offensive scheme is yeah important. that's
2: important too yep
1: um you look at Andy Reid right the, and of the, course
2: and offensive line is huge
1: yeah so I, has- I actually think my order of importance Taking the quarterback aside in terms of what, yeah, the, I'm
2: curious yep. for the
1: quarterback to succeed. I used to say line one, I think I might go scheme one, but it's close for me. Then line, then the weapons. Because yep. if you have a great quarterback like Eli Manning, Eli Manning, what did Steve Smith become after he left the New York Giants? What did, well, you know, J- Jake Ballard become, Kevin Boss become? What yeah. did they become after they left the New York Giants? A great quarterback could elevate the talent at the wide receiver position. What was Victor Cruz before Eli Manning? Not that discount. It was me.
2: Manningham and he went to the 49ers, right? Manningham after right? Left yeah. the New York
1: Giants, right? So um, I think it's – I'd say scheme and line are about even. Like they're both massively important for quarterback success. And then the weapons for me. Because if you're a great offensive play caller and you have a good enough offensive line to give these, time, these guys time to get open and you have a guy that knows how to scheme these guys open, you could have satisfactory weapons and they could look a lot better in a really good scheme w- when you're able to hold up blocks and you have a very good quarterback.
2: Yeah, I'm like I like to take Uh
1: Big Daddy says DJ's star uh staring wide, re- starting wide receivers are stills and James and upset. They're not Yeah, good. he's right.
2: I mean, look, I've said, like I said in my tweet today, wide receivers are a big issue right now for the Giants. Despite that we pay fourth the fourth yeah, most cal- salary cap based allocation to the position, which is
3: just... It's such a weird situation the New York Giants found yeah. themselves in Man, it really is at the wide receiver position. We
1: can't draft. <laughs> I mean, we haven't been no. able to draft a great wide receiver since Beckham. So yep. you know, a shepherd, but he's been hurt too much throughout his career. Yeah.
2: Hard to say. He says, I
1: think half the fan base who hates Jones, no matter what, are now frustrated that they're winning because they want a new quarterback. Well, that's silly. And I'm going to give you my that.
2: reasoning yeah. why. I'm
1: going to give you my reasoning why. The most unpredictable position in all sports is the quarterback position, and it is
2: 100. percent The Eli best quarterback is, of all time was a 6 round pick.
1: Enough. Said. Eli Manning is the best number one overall pick since he came into the league in 2004. Go back and look. Wow. at Wow. He is the best. Number one overall pick Before before it was Peyton in 1990. It would
2: have been luck, but he retired. It would really. have
1: been luck, but he yeah. got hurt. Um, and it could be Burrow, but it's way too early yeah, to say way. that. Wait. Yep. Um, so he is the best. And half the fan base hated him. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like the 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 quarterback vision is so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I think what we were rather than focusing on lose as many games as you can so we can handpick the quarterback, focus on this team improving this year, focus on this team. Having an offensive Mm -hmm. that you could say to yourself, wow, I could see a talented rookie quarterback coming in here and being successful, focusing on building up that offensive line. That's what I'm looking at this year. You can't control what pick the team's going to have. They're not going to tank. They're not going to try to lose games. Obviously, mathematics would probably tell you you stand a better chance to land a quarterback if you're picking number one overall. But at the end of the day, there's been so many busts that went number one overall. It went number two overall because the biggest reason why, I'm going to tell you why, at least in my opinion, David Carr, if he goes through a good situation, might end up being a great quarterback in the NFL. These guys that get drafted early get put in situations where they are set up to be disasters from the start, and some of them are not Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes where they can overcome anything. Most of them are not. So that to me is just as important as anything else rather than worrying about where we're going to be picking in the draft. Get, get to a point where you see an offensive scheme, where you see an offensive line starting to improve, where you could set a quarterback up for success.
2: Yeah, I like it. Same.
1: Cruz on says Joe Burrow looks like pure garbage the last two games. Somehow he gets the O-line is bad excuses and he has a top three wide receiver. I mean, I'm gonna tell you why he gets the excuses because he went to the Super Bowl last year. Um, but what I will say, and you're right, cruz on. and I think the Bengals have the same problem the New York Giants do right now in the offensive line. I, I think I said it to you actually when you when you when you when you tweeted it, it was just my opinion on it. They added more talent on that line this year, but these guys have never played together with one another. And I think a lot of people looked at the Chiefs last year with all the turnover they had on their line. It just worked right away. That's not usually how. And I do think Cincinnati's line will get better because I do think they improved it in terms of talent. But these guys have to play together with one another. I think it's the same story with the Giants. Not that we added a ton of talent outside of the right tackle. The interior is still bad. But I think it will get progressively better as these guys start to play with one another. But I think that's the biggest problem in Cincinnati, if you ask me. I do think that offense will look better. Probably after week five
3: or six. It's that, and I've watched some of the Cincinnati-Dallas game. It's because Dallas is taking away their ability to win downfield. Yeah, but that's the case. Defenses have adjusted just like they did against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's okay. We're going to align too high. Good luck. Okay, we're going to cloud cover Jamar Chase. Have fun trying to beat us with that explosive play. Now it's on Cincinnati to adjust, help Joe Burrow out, and Joe Burrow also sacked. He takes a lot of sacks, and some of them are on him. I know the offensive line has not played to I the saw level, a sack today, now that
1: you mentioned that. I think he's like the second worst quarterback so far, two weeks through the season. Uh, I forgot. I might have even seen it from one of you guys. I don't remember. In terms of taking sacks, like sacks that are on the quarterback, yeah, he's the second worst in the National Football
3: League, and that's been an issue
2: for him for his whole career. He
3: hold on to the football; he's always looking for the home run. Which there's a lot of merit to that, but there does come a time where you have to be a little bit more conservative, especially when you're not generating those explosive plays like they're not. I think they got to, and I don't like doing this, but you have to keep the defense honest. You have to use Joe Mixon, who is a top what seven back in the NFL, maybe you use him on the rushing attack, get those defenses out of too high looks, or just keep rattling off six to seven. Seven yard runs and then eventually as the defense adjusts you can adjust and you'll find those explosive plays i think they'll come out of it but it's it's been a rough two games for them
1: do you guys think burrow and i know we we talk giants here but it just got me on the topic of conversation do you think we overhyped burrow a little too much after after the playoff run last year or do you or do you or do you think this is just a a little bump in the road not that i still think he's very good but people were starting to elevate him to right
2: Mahomes, Pat her yeah.
1: conversation and Josh I don't Allen. think he's
2: at that level so if that's the level that he was getting elevated to then yes I think he was a little over, a little bit overhyped
3: what yeah. I will say though is he's and I know we we knocked him a little bit for the sacks he got sacked what nine times against Tennessee and he kept getting up and he kept yeah. making big plays Yeah, so he has that I was like ball. Eli
2: Manning San Francisco 49ers Yesterday. 2011 Yesterday. playoff game nope. ask watching that for sure I'll say that
1: Katrick Says, my man, what's going on, Katrique Man, thanks for popping in. We're gonna be here for a couple more minutes, just gonna catch up with these. Hopefully, you guys <laughs> enjoy it, enjoying, enjoying Thursday night football. It's a great one. And Clock says, DJ or someone, <laughs> four years till Arch. How are
2: we gonna get Arch, <laughs> my man? How the hell are we supposed to get Arch? He's gonna be the first pick. What do we just have that pick that year?
1: No, I, shit. I mean, who knows, but hopefully, it might not.
3: not be the first pick. Hold on, Eli. Hold out, say you're playing for New York, no one else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. That's our best shot. Um, yeah. he, he does look good though from, from yeah. uh, at least some of the clips I've seen. It is high school football, but he does look good. Real good. Rico says, KT will be better than Parsons once fully healthy. I mean, I pray you're right. That means we yeah, have hopefully you're
2: team.
3: right, dude. Like, <laughs> Rico too so. hot is his name, and that's a pretty hot take, my friend. That's a hot that's take. That's a
1: very hot take, and I pray you're right, because yeah. right now you can make an argument. <laughs> my God, a if
3: we get it better than Parsons, we're
2: we're cooking with gas.
1: Parsons, what, one of the top three-edge rushers in football right now? Some like,
2: people would, Some people watch the tape would tell you he might be the best player right now. Yeah, defensive so I, player in football.
1: Like I mean, I, inter- I mean, it would be him. It would be Watt, who of course went down with the injury. You got, uh, yeah, uh, Donald with the Rams, um, right? You know, but he's just in that edges.
2: College. I'm talking about just the edge guys. Yeah,
1: just the edge guys. Yeah, yeah. I would say him or Watt would probably be the yeah. the, the top guy. So he's he's damn good. I got to tip my cap to him. Yeah. Don says, I did it on purpose. He was always oh, talking about the solder thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Don. Love it. You, nice, called, Don. It,
1: you called it, Nick. <laughs> <Well> <laughs> I done, don't want to Don. tell the truth, but I'm yeah, going to give him credit. I'll for give him
2: credit. Definitely, yeah.
3: <laughs> Fred
1: says, Feliciano got benched in Buffalo and their offense took off. Gawinski doesn't anchor well when bull rushed. In the offseason, we definitely have to address the interior. Yeah, listen. Yeah. And I'll, I'll let them speak on this as well. Feliciano, to me, the main reason why he came here was because he was familiar with what Bobby Johnson wanted to do. He played for him in Buffalo. They looked at it like they needed a stopgap center for a year that wasn't going to be completely lost in what they were looking to do. But he's a stopgap. He's similar to like what you know when we used to you know have Remmers for a year on the right mm-hmm. side, and like it was a guy that you knew was only going to be here for a year. Jamon Brown for that one year at the guard spot. He's going to be here for a year. We're going to replace him, and I think the Giants will look to make that more of a long-term answer next year. Gawinski, he's uh, he's okay. But again, another He's good guy in the I,
2: run game, at least.
1: Yeah, he is good in the run game. Um, he was again, really- a guy that I don't see being here for more than another year after this year, probably. Um, That's They're going to look for their long-term answers in the draft. Maybe Azudu develops. Who knows? I think he will. I
3: hope so. Well, so have McK- yeah, McKethan for a long-term thing. Yeah, Who knows how he can come back from the ACL. Look, he- I just like to focus on the offensive line that Joe Shane paid. Right. I mean, Drafting Neal Azudu and McKeithen, just poor assets, and then see who hits. And if they don't work, rotate them like they've been doing with uh, Bredesen and Azudu. Yep.
1: just got to keep going after it, man. They got to keep attacking that offensive line in the draft. Gabriel, what's going on? Is Galladay the problem, or is Jones not capable of placing the ball through a contested receiver? Galladay was known for making contested catches. I'll let you guys speak on that.
3: It's a I, great
2: question. Yeah, go ahead, Nick.
3: I was going to say uh, Jones in his past, specifically his rookie season was not shy to to throw the contested catch ball to Darius Slayton. and He did it quite often, actually, and to high success. He actually has, according to a lot of the advanced statistics, one of the better deep balls in terms of accuracy in the league, which a lot of people probably wouldn't attribute to him. It's just he didn't throw deep all that often. So he's just been efficient when he's been tasked to. And he hasn't really thrown deep that much this year either. You have the Sterling Shepard play. He had the other Sterling Shepard miss in week two. But it's not something he's necessarily done. I don't know if it's a purely DJ type of issue. There's obviously a lack of rapport between the two players. And I think it could probably be attributed to both of them to some extent. But I think it goes past that. Whatever's going on with Galladay, I think is something to do with the coaches not appreciating his skill set right now or him not doing what he's supposed to do in practice to earn playing time. I think it's more that issue than maybe Daniel Jones being hesitant to throw a deep ball.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you look at last season, we go, 12 weeks until Galladay catches a back shoulder pass. And when it is, it's against, it's with it's Glennon in the game, throwing him the back shoulder. And I just couldn't understand why that never happened with Daniel Jones and Galladay. The red zone has never developed between those two. It's hard to figure out what is going on here, but ultimately what we have to more so decide is, is Kenny Galladay still the player he was, or is he just the name now after that hip surgery? So that still remains to be seen. So that's that's my that, that's what I'm focused on the most here.
1: Yeah, and that might very well. I mean, you have to figure he's not the player he once was. Because if he was,
2: he'd David be out there, right? Yeah.
1: Over. David still is not starting over him yeah. at any point in any point, time, yep. any season, regardless of what Galladay yep. knows about the playbook. And and it, it did come out that he had some kind of offseason procedure. They didn't, Again, they didn't right. detail what it was. So I think definitely part of it is that Galladay's is not the player he was in 2019 when he led the league in touchdowns. Um, yep. But yeah, I'm sure some of it also falls on Jones. I'm sure some of it also falls on the offensive line. You know, you think about Galladay, he's a guy that needs to get down the field to, in order to do that consistently, to throw more balls, you know, a lot of balls down the field. You got to be able to hold up blocks. So I, I just think it's a combination of a lot of things. I also don't think Galladay fits this scheme particularly well. So, um, but it's probably more so the fact he's not the player he once was. He's not out on the field. So it's probably more so that. John says if DJ sucks, Sanchez Chad Powers.
2: <laughs> People
1: are going all, all in on Chad Powers. And Roldy says, I find it funny. Coming into this season, the Jones apologist said this was the best talented weapons he's had since he's been here. That might be true. Still not saying much. Um, now he doesn't have talented receivers. Of sit- well, but they're not playing.
3: <laughs> and you, That's true. But you want to know the weird thing about Roldy's comment, which he's correct on we didn't expect going into the season Sterling Shepard to really be a factor in week one and week two. So we were assuming that it would be Kenny Galladay playing better than he did last year in Jason Garrett's system and Kadarius Toney stepping up and then rookie Wandell Robinson and that being the solidified 11 personnel package. No one expected it to be Richie James and David Sills and Sterling Shepard, who is their best receiver right now, being back healthy. So it's just been such a weird situation over there.
1: Yeah, like on paper going in, yes, with Tony with what you hope would be Galladay bouncing back, which clearly does not seem to be the case um, with Wondell Robinson, with Shepard being your four, with Slayton being your five, or what we expected would be the five with a healthy Saquon Juan Barkley that has lived up to the hype so far. Yes. On paper, but right now his receivers are Sills, Richie James, you know, guys that couldn't even stick with their old rosters. So let's see him get those guys out on the field and hopefully playing at a high level, but.
3: And the other crazy part too, Chris, is Darius Slayton is is here. And he ran a couple routes, but like he's not even being used. It's it's just a weird situation in general.
1: Yeah, it really is. It really is. Abe says when it comes to DJ, the ball is in the Giants court. I don't think there'll be a market for him. So I think we'll offer $15, 18 million dollars a year for two years and build the rest of the roster for the next. Depending on where we finish, Abe. I mean, it's it's all circumstance right now. We're all guessing if the Giants win 10 games, yeah, that's probably the most logical thing to predict if they win six maybe not you know then maybe you're looking at a quarterback in the draft so we'll wait till the year's over we'll see where this team finishes and what Jones looks like but yeah I I agree with you I don't think there's gonna be teams knocking down Daniel Jones's door even if Jones is pretty good this year the way the NFL works is it's hard for these guys to find jobs when they're pretty good eventually they latch on but Jimmy Garoppolo I mean uh Jameis Winston it took time Teddy Bridgewater took time for him to find a job they had to be backups so even if you're pretty good teams, generally speaking, if you don't fall inside that top 15, if you're like 17 to 25 and you hit the open market, they'd rather just draft a quarterback if right. they're in the position to draft one. So I agree with Abe. I don't think there's going to be a huge market for Daniel Jones. So maybe you do get him back on a deal similar similar to that if we fall in that type of situation.
3: And the NFL is also a meritocracy, but at the same time, it does have a little bit of cronyism in it. And you look at some of the former offensive coordinators in the New York Giants. I don't believe Pat Shermer is anywhere right now. Jason Garrett is freaking NBC. So where if, Daniel, if no one views Daniel Jones as a starter, who's going to bring him up as a, as a backup if there isn't any of his old offensive coaches who are around the NFL right now? Because I don't think those guys are coaching at the moment because Shurmur's out, out of Denver. And like I said, Garrett is an NBC analyst somehow.
1: Did you see what I think? Justin panic tweeted it. Did you see what he said? But they were punting with like eight seconds left in the game. He was calling and, and so he said something like, "The team that was receiving the punt, let's see if they get something done in the two-minute drill." <laughs> like by the time the ball hit his foot, it was at like five seconds. Oh, so there was literally god. no time. By the guy, by the time the guy fielded the punt, like thank God, Jason Garrett's not here anymore. Oh my god.
2: I heard god. some. I'm not going to share it on this because I was told not to. But I heard some really damning things about his time with the Giants, as far as. I'll just say the amount of effort he put into his job. Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I believe it. I believe. I it. do
2: too. Because if you watch it on the film, there was just not not enough create. There was nothing different. It was the same shit every week. Richard, <laughs> excuse my Bridges. language.
1: Way, I want to get your guys' opinion on this because this was kind of like a hot topic going into the year. What do you guys think of the difference now with having Kafka up in the up in the booth as opposed to being on the field? Do you like? Do you like that change?
3: I do like that change. If you have. A lot of positional coaches that you trust to relay relay the messages. Now they're gonna be talking through calm and everything, but you can see everything because you get the all twenty-two view when you're up there. So you can see everything unfold and then you don't have to communicate it with the guys who are up in the box, be like, Oh, what did that safety do? Or oh, what did that corner do? So instead you see it and now you can get the play call out quicker. Mm-hmm. So if you want to use tempo, you can use tempo. So it makes a lot of sense from that standpoint, but there's also merit to being down on the field so you can address your players the way you want to address yeah. your players. Right. So it's just like trusting Shea Tierney, trusting the rest of your coaching staff to be able to do that while they're down there. And I'm not sure who else is up in the box with them. I know a couple of those other coaches are up there, but there's definitely merit to both arguments, but I do like having them up in the box.
1: Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting little twist they had this year with the court because I don't remember the last time they had an OC up in the box. Um, Big Moose says, Mr. Tibbs' first NFL game on Monday night. Can't wait, man. Looking forward to it, man. And thank you. Thank you, buddy. Nader says, do you keep Odell or keep keep the years past?
2: I don't know what he means.
1: Do you keep Odell or keep the years past? I don't know if maybe he's asking would it have been better off to just keep Odell and not trade him. (laughs) If that's what he's asking, I don't know. Um, my answer to you, I don't think it would have made a world of difference one way or the other in terms yeah. of like football games personally, because Odell would have been eating up a lot of the cap and we weren't a good football team. I mean, Jones still was the quarterback. The offensive line was still bad. Yeah. The defense was still bad. Uh, the first year where we traded him, it was, you know, so I don't think it would have made much of a difference. Uh, maybe we win an extra game and we sell more jerseys because Odell was a popular player, but I don't think we would have been a much better football team. That's not because of Odell. It's because the team was really bad. Yep. The, the the thing with the odell trade and I, I know people you know they they love odell so they don't like to hear this opinion i think the giants got fair value for odell the problem with the odell trade for me wasn't the value that we got it was the picks that we made with the value that we received yeah same uh, you know what i'm saying like you 100% the, you, we from from a value standpoint just analyzing analyzing it by the picks that we received it's it's a fair trade. I mean, you lost what-
2: Peppers, who was honestly a pretty good player before the injury.
1: Yeah, you look at like Diggs. I don't think they got that as much as we got. Right. I could be wrong on that. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, we got fair value. We just didn't hit on the picks. Yeah, you know, how dare
3: up- you disparage David Johnson, who was involved in that trade? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think you're right, Chris. I, I do, and I love Dexter Lawrence. I'm a big Dexter Lawrence fan, but you did select him in the top. Seven, I think you selected him 17th, and there's an argument like, do you should you do that for somebody who doesn't maybe impact the past as much as, say, Chris Jones or Jeffrey Simmons or, or Aaron Donald? There's an argument to be had there, although I, I think Dexter Lawrence gets a bad rap in terms of his ability to generate pressure. I think he's a little bit better than what most of the giant fan base views him as, but still, I think there's merit to the, to the conversation.
2: Yeah,
1: if we hit a, if we hit it like if we took AJ Brown, like, no, I'm trying to think. Uh DK Metcalf I think was in that draft. If we would have taken him with the 17th pick, people would have been like, yeah, you, you had yeah yeah was a good right, trade. Right. You got DK Metcalf, you were able to still it didn't turn out to much, to be much but Peppers,
2: but and Now he now he's, he's making he's making a late push to be something, O'Shane.
1: Yeah, yeah he is. He's he's definitely produced this year. Jonathan says, "I don't know if you guys already talked about this or not, but what do you think about the Giants possibly going after Lam- we did not uh going after Lamar Jackson in the offseason?" I'll start then I'll let you guys give your opinion on this. It, to me, it's fantasy land. It's not going to happen. Uh, the way I look at the yes. Lamar Jackson situation is Baltimore's holding out probably due to the fact that, one, Lamar Jackson's contract demand seemed to be outrageous. He mm-hmm. Like he wants them to match the guaranteed money that Deshaun Watson got, which is that's probably not going to happen. Um, but in the end, I think they'll come to a common agreement is provided that Lamar Jackson stays healthy this year. And Lamar, to be honest with you, would be silly to leave the Baltimore Ravens. He's at Baltimore. They literally have structured that entire team to fit his skill set. It's a scheme that they built around Lamar Jackson. They have a great offensive play caller for his skill set. They have a really good offensive line. The pieces are there for him to be as successful as he possibly can. And if he stays healthy this year, the Ravens ain't letting him walk. And if he doesn't stay healthy, well, you probably don't want to sign him if you're the Giants. So I just don't see it happening.
3: Dan and I talked about this on the mailbag that's going to be dropping here in the coming days, and I'm open to to entertaining it. Yeah. But I think money-wise it's going to come down to something that, that that might be a little bit out of the price range of what the Giants want to allocate to him. But I will say this, holy crap would it be exciting to have to get to watch Lamar Jackson oh, for your team's quarterback.
1: If if he became available for the right deal, yeah. I just don't see it happening. I think it's fantasy land.
3: It is fantasy
2: land. Quarterbacks like this never hit the market. Even if there's rumors they might, we can't think of any examples because they are not, aren't at, his you, not at his age. Career, right. Not at his age, right? Yeah, yeah. At his yeah. age, like Drew Brees is the only example, but he was coming off a major so- shoulder injury, so it's not. And insane. they drafted
1: Rivers to replace him,
2: right? So yeah, it's fantasy land.
1: It's. I just don't see it happening. Levon says, "What's going on with Wandell? He's hurt. He's just been back. What, no. What's the uh, injury again with Wandell? It's uh." Mm-hmm.
2: Like, but nobody knows. He gave day to day. mean, Dable's going to be a day to day kind of coach, and so we're not going to get too much on these injuries.
1: Yeah, so we'll see, Levon. But he's not playing this week, and probably not going to play the next week either. They're probably going to be cautious with him. Big time. Louis says, Raiders fan. How does Big Blue feel about talking about you guys? Feel about Canarias Tony?
3: yeah, We talked about him a little bit before. I wish he could find his way onto the football field. I wish he could be a little bit more dependable in terms of not getting injured, which isn't necessarily his fault. But we know that this coaching staff really puts a high precedent on players who can be on the football field. And um, I want to see him used more, but I don't think it's Brian Dable neglecting him to him not. I don't think it's Brian Dable's fault that he's not finding the football field. I think there are other reasons why Kadarius Toney is not finding the football field. I'm not blaming the coaches. I think maybe he has to... Have a more comprehensive understanding of of the offense because he missed so much time in training camp and things like that. I'm kind of speculating here. We mentioned it a little bit at the top of the broadcast, but that's kind of where I'm coming from with Kadarius Tony. I don't think Brian is looking at this guy's skill set and saying, oh, screw this guy. We're not going to use him. He's obviously the most talented guy in that room. So he just needs to get up to speed with everything. And when he does, I'm really excited because he is dynamic.
2: Yep. Anything to add? I would just say, yeah. I mean, Nick. Nick kind of outlined it perfectly. We, we've gone over we went over this a little bit earlier, so I got nothing else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I the the, only, the main question I have with Tony is just his injuries. That yep. he, he, you know that. that and and has,
2: the playbook like, thing, I think, is a real legitimate concern, though. Now. Yes, for yeah. sure.
1: Um, but his injuries. I mean, he had an injury history while well at college, and he's been yep. banged up since he's been in the pros. So, but in terms of his physical ability. I'm not going to say he's Odell because people were saying that after the Cowboys game last year, like he had that kind of potential. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. I'm not going to go that far, but he could be a very good wide receiver in the NFL, especially in a scheme like we have. I think he fits the, fits what they're looking to do very well. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think outside of Barkley, he's he's our best playmaker in this offense. I don't even think that's a debate. So nah. but it's just a matter of getting him on the field, like you said, him knowing the playbook, knowing where to be, you know, no, knowing how they want to utilize him in the offense, but. In terms of his raw physical ability, yeah, he could be a very good wide receiver in the NFL. And uh, last one here. John says, would you guys call the Bears to see if they would be willing to give up Roquan Smith for Galladay and a pick since they will lose Smith for nothing next year? It's not happening.
2: It's not, not happening, but also, like, I don't know if I would want to – if you trade for Roquan, you have to re-sign him, right? So that's yeah. what he's looking for. I don't know if I'm I'm going down that path.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah I'm and right I am the
1: Bears – Want Kenny
2: Galladay. That's the key thing. That's why this isn't happening. Nobody's training for (laughs) Kenny Galladay.
1: Yeah, with what Galladay makes, I mean, I know that they. No
2: use- one is trading for Kenny Galladay. We yeah. got a question on our mailbag today that I think you'll just find appreciate because which was like, should the Giants pull a Houston Texans and trade a third round pick and Galladay to a team that will be willing to take on the full contract just to get the just to get it off the cap?
1: No, you wait. No, a I year wouldn't year. do that, but like, wait it year. was a funny question. Yeah, yeah, because we're that desperate. But no, you wait a year. <laughs> Um, and you cut him, and if he becomes like a locker room distraction, if he doesn't yeah, like,
2: that's do, the issue. You're right,
1: put him on the practice squad.
2: Yep. Like they,
1: that's it. Like um that's what I would do. If 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 he doesn't like what we're doing in this office, he's going to be a distraction. You can't trade him. You can't cut him because it's going to cost you more money to cut him. Put him on the practice squad if it, if it comes to that. But um no, I'm not giving up draft capital just to get rid of him when I can cut him next year. Yeah, you know that'd be silly in my opinion. But guys, uh, first off, anybody that has not checked out Big Blue Banter. This is going to be on their podcast at some point this week. They have a great podcast. They do a great job over there. They do great film breakdowns as well. Follow them on Twitter. Follow their podcast. Hopefully, we get to do this again soon, guys. I had a great time talking with you guys. Thank you to everybody in the chat for everything that you do. You guys are the best. You guys always blow up the streams, always have so much fun. This was kind of an impromptu stream today. I wasn't expecting to do it. Uh, they reached out to me. I said, yeah, hell yeah, I want to work with these guys. Um, So was excited to pop on with you guys. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on man, and, and close it out.
2: Yeah, I had a great time. This was even better than I expected. I knew it was going to be a lot of fun when we finally did this, but man, this was even better. Like, look, we went almost two hours and it felt, it to felt me like it was, like I, I looked minutes, at it,
1: yeah. I, I looked at it, I was like, at one point, it was like an hour and a half, I, feel, I was like, I felt, I feel like we've been live for like 40 minutes. Yeah,
2: I know. And <laughs> that's the that's sign of a good show right there. One thing I would say to close out is, because we'll be putting this on our podcast feed as well. Tell everyone where they can find your work.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can find me at the entertainer. Talking sports, don't ask me why I came up with the name. I was just <laughs> stupid. I like was trying to start a YouTube channel. I was trying to put a New York flair on it. Um, talk giants. Talk almost all giants, but a little, sprinkling a little Mets and Knicks. I'm a Mets fan. I, felt, I fell in my head as a child. Me too. Um, but, uh, yeah, really excited for playoff baseball. See how the Mets do. But, wait. yeah, check me out on uh, Entertain talking Talk at Sports. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for having and me And that's how your- you can
2: find him on YouTube, by the way. Enterta-
3: just type that into the search bar and you'll see it.
1: Yeah, and on Twitter, same thing.
3: It's a great time, man. Thank you for having us. Uh, everybody, if you guys want some X's and O's, breakdowns, stuff like that, diving into the All-22, Dan and I, it's the Big Blue Banter Podcast, wherever you guys get podcasts. You could also check us out on Twitter. I am at Nick Falato. That is F-A-L-A-T-O. Dan, give you a handle. Dan Schneier,
2: NFL. That's D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R, no D, NFL. So many vowels. So many. Wait, that's
1: many my vowels. dad, by the way. He says, "I love your guest. Oh, what's uh, up,
2: Rosario? What's How up, you Pop? doing, <laughs> fellow Sicilian? How that you doing? That is a man? very Italian name. I love it.
1: So he's a fan. So he'll check out your podcast too. But awesome. Yeah, definitely check him out. And yeah, we'll do this again soon. I had so much fun. Uh, yeah, this was amazing, you guys. But yeah. guys, the listeners, have a great rest of your day.
2: Three and zero, baby. Tomorrow. Let's do it. Let's find, a way. 3-0, let's find oh, a way. Three and zero. Let's find a way. Oh Real
1: quick before we close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give me a score prediction this week.
2: Okay, so we already did this, so I can tee it right up. I'm predicting the Giants. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm predicting the Giants win again. We're actually going to be 3-0, and I'm saying 20-19 to on a last drive field goal from Graham Gano. So we're down 19-17, and he kicks the game winner. Yes.
1: Okay, I like it. Go ahead.
3: Now I'm going to go an ugly, sloppy 19-17 to win for the Giants.
1: That's about where I have it. Um, okay. Now, what I am going to say on my prediction video, which I'll probably have out tomorrow, we'll see if I have enough time, I don't know if I will because I'm going on live with Patricia Traina, but if I don't, I'll have it out on Saturday. But in my prediction video, I'm going to pick against the Giants because I'm very superstitious. I picked against the Giants the no, first I like that.
2: Weeks. I love if, that.
1: I'm going to continue to do that. But if I'm honestly picking this game and not trying to be like a jinx, I do think the Giants are going to win this game um, because of a lot of things we talked about throughout the stream. Yep. Cooper Rush, now you have a game's worth of film of him in this offense. I think Wink Martindale is going to take advantage of that they have a rookie at the tackle. They, 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 they're they completely messed up on their offensive line. I think Wink's going to take advantage of that. I do think we create some turnovers. I think Jones does kind of what he's done the first two weeks. He yeah. takes care of the football. He makes some plays when they need to be made. They established a ground game with Barkley. It is a sloppy win, kind of like what you guys were hinting at. See a similar score last week, like a 1916, 2017, 2016 type game. High teens, low 20s. They win by about a field goal like we've done the first couple of weeks. So that, that's what I see. I do think the Giants – Get out of there 3 0, and then we look at wow. Justin Fields and the Bears, <laughs> and we say, Oh my God, we are probably going to start. 4-0.
2: <laughs> we have a shot of 4 0. Can you believe <laughs> oh. this?
1: So we'll see, but uh, sure. I'm looking forward to this week, and and hopefully we get the win real quick. Clock says, Hire, get one. He'll get one year. He can he can deal for May. Oh, I wish I knew what you meant.
2: Some of these. <laughs> we need, we need to translate oh, he might be, of these he might
1: be referring maybe to Jackson, 100 million for two years. Okay. Maybe um, if, if that's what he's talking about. I don't know. I honestly don't think so. I honestly think he's staying with the Ravens if he stays Me healthy. Too. But that'll be a topic of conversation for the offseason. But again, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You guys are the best. And we'll talk soon. Have a good, have a good night, everybody. And we.